Hello, people of the way. Blessings in Jesus. If you have your Bible, please open up to Judges chapter 2. Judges chapter 2, we continue our study through the Old Testament. And I have to tell you that we're going to be entering some very, very difficult passages. Now, understand, it's so beautiful to see the fulfillment of God's promises. Uh, God's promises unto Abraham, unto uh, Isaac, unto Jacob, whose name was changed to Israel. And, you know, God's promises fulfillment. I mean, we are in the promised land, you know, the, 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 there's a rescue from Egypt and, you know, in the promised land and receiving inheritance. But then something happens and it breaks my heart. And, you know, I venture to say that it's going to break your heart, too. And let's start our study here in the book of Judges, chapter two. Now, in verse one. Then the angel of the Lord came up from Gilgal to Bochim. Now, here we have a theophany. Uh, whenever you see angel in caps, uh, it's likely to be Jesus in the Old Testament. Now, let me explain that a little bit because some translations don't have angel in caps. Some translations do. We teach out of the New King James Version. Uh, you know, post-Alexandrian texts, a lot gets lost in translation. Post-Alexandria now, that's when you get into like, you know, uh, 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 ESV, NIV, uh, New Living Translation. Uh, when, you, when you get into post-Alexandrian text, uh, what happens is there's deviation from original manuscripts. And so we like to stick to uh, translations that are as close as possible to the original manuscripts. Now, it's also important to understand that sometimes translations, uh, King James, New King James, sometimes they have deviation from the original manuscripts. Remember the Septuagint math in the book of Numbers? If you've been walking with us for a while, remember the Septuagint math that we used, in, 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 that the Bible uses in, uh, uh, in the Old Testament? And so, you know, when you hear me say that, you know, whenever you see angel in caps, you know, it, there's some prerequisites behind that. It's not just like a a blanket statement there's prerequisites behind that you know to and that's what's so beautiful about the knowledge of the word of god which is a gift it's a gift from the holy spirit knowledge of the word of god is a gift from the holy spirit one of many gifts and not the greatest gift the greatest gift is love love god is love the greatest gift love you see and every high priest sacrifice and gifts just like we studied on on sunday every high priest sacrifice and gifts it's very important to understand and see and so here in verse one we see this theophany jesus christ in the old testament now do you remember our study in joshua 5 in the book of joshua chapter 5 when the man stood before joshua and Joshua asked of him and says, you know, are you with us or our adversaries? And the man revealed, he says, you know, as commander of the armies of the Lord. And then Joshua worshipped. You see? Now, for God's people, you know, both Jew and Gentile, you know, like understand too that, you know, in Christ, there is no Jew nor Gentile. But when I say for both Jew and Gentile, you know, I'm speaking to my Jewish friends, Jewish listeners, rabbis whom I love. Now, sometimes, you know, I have these conversations with the Jewish people and I love, I'm so in love with the Jewish people. 
And sometimes there's reservation where they're like, well, you're a Christian. And they're kind of like, you know, kind of like a little a little step back. Like, oh, you're a Christian. Like, okay, I got to I gotta have my, you know, like not weapons drawn, but maybe shield up. You know, and it's completely understandable because, you know, I have these conversations. And then, you know, sometimes the Jewish person is like, well, you know, you Christians, you know, you, kind of, you say this, you say this. And, you know, there's some kind of anti-Semitism there. And you know what? I have no, I have no argument whatsoever. Because when you look at the craziness in the church, you know, understand we're in the last days and you look at the craziness that's in the church on top of that, mixed with false doctrine, you know, false theologies, which, you know, formulate these conclusions based on false theory and conclude false theory. And you're starting to see this rise of um, a replacement theology where God's promises are no longer for Israel, and they are for Christians. They are for the church. And let me tell you something to my Jewish friends whom I love. That is a lie from the pit of hell. That is a lie from the pit of hell. And you see people like, you know, Piper, Gospel Coalition, they start to teach all these things, and they are fools. Straight up, they are fools. They do not know the Bible. They know not of what they speak. They think they do. They proclaim to. But the Bible says they're fools. It's very important to understand that it's not the branch that supports the root. It's the root that supports the branch. You see, I'm a Christian. I'm a Christian. And it's the root that supports the branch. And so people come up with these ideas about replacement theology. But it's a lie from the pit of hell. And so, you know, when I talk to these, my Jewish friends and these beautiful, beautiful people, there's reservation like, oh, you know, yo, you're a Christian. Like, you know, it's like, yes, I'm a Christian. But let, let's preface that. Like, you know, I'm not the crazy guy. I'm not the guy that teaches replacement theology. I'm not the guy that's anti-Semitic. I'm not the guy that aligns with these movements and these brands of theology. I'm just the guy who reads his Bible. That's it. And, you know, it's so beautiful to understand that the Bible teaches for God's people. When I say of both Jew and Gentile, you know, I'm reaching out to the Jew. If you're Jewish, I'm reaching out to you. But it's forbidden to worship angels. If you're Jewish, it's forbidden to worship angels. If you're Christian, it's forbidden to worship angels. You see? And so sometimes in the Old Testament, just like with Joshua, he worshiped, you know, he says, you know, are you with us or with our adversaries and the man that he was speaking to? And, you know, there's also the capital M there in Joshua five, the man revealed, he says, you know, as commander of the armies of the Lord. And you know what Joshua did? He worshiped. Now, if you're Jewish, that's forbidden to worship angels. If you are Christian, that's forbidden to worship angels. The only time it is allowed is when it is Jesus. That's the only time it's allowed. And so sometimes you'll see in the Old Testament, you know, an angel of the Lord and then somebody worships him. Or, you know, like, you know, uh, 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 you know a, a man is revealed and he reveals himself as commanders of the armies of the Lord and then Joshua worships. Now, if it was just, you know, 
no offense to, you know, servants of the Lord, but if it was run-of-the-mill angel, you know, no offense to, you know, Michael or Gabriel, no offense to them, you know, but I mean, you know, if it's run-of-the-mill angel, do not worship. I mean, you see angels in the Bible where, you know, somebody goes down to worship and the angels themselves, they say, no, 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 see that you don't do that. I'm a servant of the Lord like you. That's what the, that's what the angels of the Lord say. But the fallen angels, the demonic angels, Satan, who presents himself as an angel of light, when somebody falls down to worship him, they, they have a big smile on their face. That's right. Worship me. Bow down and worship me. That's what the fallen angels do. But the servants of the Most High, the biblical angels, you know, the, you know, the, well, you know, the biblical angels in terms of, you know, they're aligned with the Lord, the Most High. Them, they always tell the people See that you don't, I mean, they're adamant, you know, hey, don't do that. See that you don't do that. Do not worship me because we together worship the most high. I'm a servant of the Lord like you are. So no offense to Michael, no offense to Gabriel, but run of the mill angels are not to receive worship. And so when you see angel, like in all caps, some translations don't have all caps. If, if you're in a translation where it's not all caps, you know, you look at the original manuscripts. Well, they're not all, all caps there, but you look at the original manuscripts. Remember, knowledge is a gift of the spirit. And, you know, you put pieces together and understand, like in the case of Joshua, when the man in Joshua 5, when the man, capital M, revealed himself, and then all of a sudden Joshua worships. Understand, if that was not Jesus, that would be forbidden. If that were not Jesus, that would be forbidden. Joshua would be disobedient to the Lord had it not been Jesus. But you know what? It was Jesus. It is Jesus that we see in Joshua 5. Just like here in Judges 2. The angel of the Lord came up from Gilgal to Bochim in verse 1, Judges chapter 2, verse 1. And for my Jewish friends, you have to understand, you know, the worship of angels forbidden by the most high forbidden. God's people are not to worship angels. God's people worship God. And when you hear me say of both Jew and Gentile, I'm really saying, you know, of both Jews and Christians. And sometimes, you know, when I speak to Jews and they're like, oh, but kind of roll their eyes like, oh, man, here we go. Another Christian. Yeah. You know, you might see me as another Christian, but I'm not run of the mill. I'm not, you know, the Piper kind. I'm not the, you know, coalition kind. Very dangerous doctrines that they have. Replacement theology. That's satanic. It's in preparation to serve the Antichrist who will come against Jews and Christians. It's an Antichrist spirit. One of two things. They know not what they speak of or they know exactly what they speak of in serving their father, the devil. If you're Jewish and you're listening, you know, you're rabbi, you're, you know, you're a, a, a teacher. You're, a, 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 you know, for my rabbinical friends, I love you. But understand, it's forbidden to worship angels. So why is it that 
with when Joshua worshipped the man in Joshua 5, why is it that he was still in obedience to the Lord? You know why? Because it was Jesus, Son of the Most High. You see? And understand, Satan presents himself as an angel of light. Now, we must be Bereans to discern. To discern so that we can recognize the imposter. Because this is where many saints get in trouble in this area. Because, you know, they say, oh, the Lord told me this. The Lord directed me here. The Lord directed me there. The Lord wants me to do this. The Lord wants me to go here. The Lord wants me to tell you this. But the entire time, it wasn't the Lord. It was a trap of Satan who presented himself as an angel of light. Here in Judges chapter 2, this angel. Now, no disrespect to the Lord. saying, you know, this angel, you know, don't, don't forget that, you know, in our study in Hebrews, you know, the writer of Hebrews was, you know, this Jesus, this, uh, uh, this priest in the order of Melchizedek. You know, so it's no disrespect to say this angel because I'm just, you know, you know, this angel in Judges 2, this angel, capital A, comes from Gilgal. Bochim. Now, remember Gilgal in, you know, all the stones from our study in, in, in Joshua, the stones, remember the water, the, the Jordan River, and then you have 12 stones in the water, 12 stones out of the water, and then you have the, uh, 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 the altar there. And then, you know, the, the other, the other altar, remember, and all, all these things that it's so beautiful. And so, you know, this angel of the Lord comes from Gilgal to Bochim and Bochim means lamentation to weep with tears. What is happening? What is happening here in Judges 2? What is happening? Oh, Israel, what is happening? And verse one, look what happens. The angel of the Lord came up from Gilgal to Bochim and said, I led you from Egypt. Now for my Jewish friends, my rabbi friends, my rabbinical teachers, I love you. I love you. I love you. Now you might have, have reservation when you hear the pipers. You might have reservation when you hear the coalition and hey, I'm in agreement with you. Those are That's crazy town. That's, you know, crazy town. It's prophesied. The church will be crazy in the last days. You look at the church today and you see craziness, you know, we're in the last days. And so this angel of the Lord says, I led you from Egypt. Very interesting to see the, the alignment of this angel to the very God we serve. How this the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob? I mean, some passages that we've read already, we've studied already, and we're gonna study more. Some passages say where, where, where God says, "I led you, I led you from Egypt, I led you here, I led you there." But here in Judges two, it's this angel that is saying, "I led you." Notice the oneness that is revealed with this angel and the almighty and don't forget jesus is the one who says i and my father are one so what do we see here for my jewish friends whom i love it's forbidden to worship angels when joshua did it 
he was in the right. You know why? Because the angel, capital A, was Jesus. And this angel says, I led you from Egypt. And, you know, if you're Jewish, you might hear that and be like, well, wait a second. God led, God led us from Egypt. God is the one who led us from Egypt. It is written, and I just echo the words of my king and my master, who says, I and my father are one. You see? And we're in, we're in the Old Testament. I made reference to some New Testament passages, but we're in the Old Testament. If you're if you're Jewish and you're listening, understand this is straight up Old Testament. You see, and I don't say this to if you're Jewish and you're listening. I don't say this to you know like you know ha 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 you're in the wrong ha 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 you're in the wrong. I say this to understand, just like Joshua did. Just like Joshua did, you too can worship this angel. You too can worship this man, commander of the armies of the Lord, because his name is Jesus. You see? And so this angel says, I led you from Egypt. And brought you to the land of which I swore to your fathers. And I said, I will never break my covenant with you. What is happening here? Very interesting for my Jewish friends. When are there covenants with angels? Straight up. When are there covenants with angels? I mean, let me, let me, let me preface that by saying, well, let me rephrase that by saying, <clears throat> When are there covenants with run-of-the-mill angels? No offense to Gabriel, no offense to Michael, no offense to the other angels that I don't know their names, but no offense to them. But when in the Bible do we see covenants with angels? It's, it's forbidden to worship angels. Biblically, it's forbidden to worship angels. Now, Catholics, I love you, but if you're Catholic and you worship angels, you're wrong. You need to jump ship because Catholicism is not Christianity. Catholicism is unbiblical. You see? And I love, you know, sometimes, you know, you're listening. Sometimes, you know, people reach out to me and they're like, well, you know, how come you say it like this? How come you say it like this? Everything is housed. Go to thewayunderground.com. Everything is housed for you. If you're Catholic, we have resources for Catholics. And I love you. But your doctrine is wrong. You got to jump ship. You got to jump ship. Because that ship is sinking. You see? It's not jump ship and you're going to drown. Jump ship and welcome aboard. And so here this angel who is speaking, he says, I led you from Egypt. He says, I will never break my covenant with you. But when is there ever a covenant with an angel? When is there ever, it's forbidden to worship angels. Biblically, it's forbidden to worship angels. Now, if you're Jewish, you're like, well, the Catholics do it. Well, the Catholics are wrong. It's forbidden to worship angels. When is there ever covenant with angels? You see, but capital A angel, a theophany, when it is revealed that this angel of the Lord is 
this man, you know, capital M, commander of the armies of the Lord, and Joshua worships. And Joshua was not disobedient. He was obedient in worshiping the Lord. You know why? Because the man he was speaking to was Jesus. And here in Judges 2, this angel is saying, I will never break my covenant with you. Now, understand, when is there ever covenant with angel, with angels? There is covenant with the Almighty. So why is this angel saying, I will never break my covenant with you? When it's the Almighty who made covenant. Mind you, we're in the Old Testament. We, we haven't even touched the New Testament. This is Wednesday study. We are in our Wednesday study, which is Old Testament. And it is my king, my lord, my savior, my master, who says, I and my father are one. It is only the son of God who could speak in this manner. It is only the Son of God who can say as commander of the armies of the Lord. It is only the Son of God who can say, I led you from Egypt. It is only the Son of God who could say, I will never break my covenant with you. It is only him. Messiah, Son of David, Son of Man, Lamb of God. Lamb of God, male without blemish, who takes away the sins of the world. To my Jewish friends, rabbi friends, rabbinical teachers, I love you. Believe in Jesus. Believe in Jesus. If that's you, you want to commit your life to Jesus right here, right now. Hit pause, listen to the message, how to commit your life to Jesus Christ. And you do exactly that. You commit your life to Jesus Christ. And you come back, you listen, and we grow together. Mazel tov. Also notice the angel in verse 1 says, I will never break my covenant with you. In, in Judges, Judges chapter 2 verse 1, he says, I will never break my covenant with you. Now, understand, you know, it just so happens we're studying this on Sunday. Our Sunday studies describe a better covenant. The first isn't broken. The first is not broken. The first is fulfilled. And abiding in Christ is to abide in the fulfillment. This is the true Sabbath. Rest. And it's rest for your souls. You see? Because, remember the writer of Hebrews? Could Joshua give rest? If Joshua could give rest, I mean, listen, there was the law. I mean, here we are in Judges 2. They had the law. I mean, in Judges 2, they have the law. They have the, 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 the law and the practice of Sabbath where there is rest. But we're going to see here in Judges 2, there is no rest. How could that be? How could it be that the law has rest and provisions for rest, a promise of the Lord, but how could it be that in Judges chapter 2, there is no rest? You see? It's because that's how the law was created. The law addresses the flesh, absolutely. 
but it does not address the spirit. You see? Well, there's a door. So it does not address the spirit unless the door is entered. Unless a person enters the door. Where a person learns to fear the Lord and then the next chamber, the next door, a person learns to love the Lord, trust the Lord. A person learns to love the Lord and then there's the, the, the inner, inner, inner chamber where few enter. Very few enter. And that's the door of faith, the chamber of faith. The people in the Old Testament who reached that inner chamber of faith, they, they knew the Messiah was coming. And they longed for the day to see the Messiah. You see? Joshua didn't give rest. The law of Moses didn't give rest. Because here in Judges 2, we're going to see there is no rest. And that's how the law was created. To make way for the better covenant where there is rest, not for the flesh, rest for the soul. Much deeper, not surface, much deeper, much, much, much deeper. We're just in verse one. And already this angel of the Lord with the knowledge of the word of God and, you know, knowledge of the word of God. It's, it's not to boast. Remember when, when Paul, when, you know, when he, you know, when he, you know, you have 10,000 teachers, but one father. And he speaks of himself as like a spiritual father, like, you know, saints, you're like my kids. And when he says that to the Corinthian saints, he says it, he how he describes it, how it translates in the Greek and how he uses it is like you pass through my birth canal and he's male. He has no birth canal. But yet that's how he describes the depth of his love for his children of faith. You have 10,000 teachers, but one father. You see? And so we read this. Just We're just in verse 1. And look what is being revealed. With the knowledge of the word of God. And it's not said to, to boast. It's not to understand that knowledge of the word of God. It's a gift from the Holy Spirit. And gifts of the Holy Spirit are not to be used for self-aggrandizement it's used for the body the body of Christ it's used for the saints gifts of the spirit are for the body of Christ Remember, you know, nowadays you have, you know, oh, oh, look, I'm a prophet. I have the gift of prophecy. And people say that, you know, to elevate themselves. But when you read the Bible, you look at the prophets, those with the gift of prophecy. I mean, Old Testament prophets, but, you know, New Testament prophets, too. Those who have the gift of prophecy. Remember uh, Philip, the evangelist, and he has his prophet, his daughters. Remember uh, Agabus, the, the, uh, the, who has the gift of prophecy, and Agabus came? Now, it's not Agabus who says, oh, look, I'm Agabus, and I'm so awesome, and look, and you, you make a contribution, and, you know, make my wallet nice and fat, make my bank account nice and fat, because, look, I'm a prophet. I'm a, I have the gift of prophecy, and look how awesome I am. No. No. The Lord gave him the gift of prophecy. Prophecy. 
And yet it's for the body. Gifts are for the body. Agabus comes to town and says, listen, there's going to be a, a, there, there, there's going to be famine. And so there's going to be famine. So what the church did is that they kind of like, you know, made provisions. They took like collections. And so when the famine came, the church was safe. You see? Nowadays, people have. They've altered the word of God so much that they've changed and altered. They attempt to. Oh, look, I have the gift of prophecy. Look how awesome I am. Look how awesome. And it's for self. But biblically, it's for the body of Christ. Gifts. Look at the gift of tongues. The gift of tongues. You see churches, you know, 500 people in the church and 500 people are speaking in tongues. No, that's that's out of order. That's out of order. Remember our study in 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14? It's out of order. There needs to be order in the fellowship. Paul says, listen, a non-believer is going to come to church, see what you Christians are all about, and he's going to walk in and think everybody's crazy. What's happening today? People walk in church and they think everybody's crazy. They're doing exactly what Paul says not to do. You see? And Paul, as a vessel of the Lord, and in the case of Corinth, don't forget, beautiful, beautiful vessel, Chloe. Look what is being revealed here in Judges chapter 2, who this angel is to my Jewish friends who I love. Jesus, Jesus, male lamb without blemish, lamb of God. Male lamb without blemish, without sin. Behold, behold, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. You see? And look at verse 2. And you shall make no covenant with the inhabitants of this land. Now, remember Moses? Moses says, don't mess with the gods of these peoples. You are a consecrated people, O Israel. You are consecrated. You belong to the Lord. You, you are set apart for the Lord. Don't mess with the gods of these people. That's what Moses says. Joshua, he says the same thing. Don't mess with the gods of these people. You are consecrated. You see, leadership matters. In these last days, leadership still matters. You must understand the formula, biblical formula. All these studies are housed and archived. Go to the pastoral studies. Listen to those pastoral studies because it's the Lord who leaked those one-on-one -on -one letters. Amen. You know, Paul wrote, you know, to Timothy, to Titus. It's one-on-one -on -one letter. One Paul to one Timothy. One Paul to one Titus. How is it that they're in the, in the word of God? Because it's the Lord who leaked those letters. Why? Because he wants us to know what the formula of leadership looks like so that you and me can know who is it that we could submit to. Just as in the case with the Old Testament, you know, under Joshua, Israel was fine. Under Moses, Israel was fine. And I say fine, but beautifully fine, wonderfully fine. Leadership matters. But then what happens when 
Joshua's gone. You see? With Moses, the next generation of leadership was Joshua. Israel was safe. But after Joshua, what happened? You see? And a lot of times what's happening in churches is that people treat churches like it's a family affair. They treat it like a, like just a, a, a run-of-the-mill business. You know, where, you know, a pastor says, well, I'm going to retire at age 65 now. You know, there's no expiration date on the call of God. I mean, you know, when there's, when the formula is right and, you know, there's obedience unto the Lord. Now there is an expiration date if a so-called pastor, if he extinguishes the spirit, if he quenches the spirit, you know, there are expiration dates there. But somebody says, well, you know, the Lord called me to be a pastor. The Lord called me to be a pastor. And you know what? I think I'm going to retire at age. You know, I'm, I'm going to retire early. I'm going to retire at age 57. When you see that happen, you know, the guy is treating church like it's a business. Oh, I'm so concerned about the Christians. I'm so concerned about the church. So, you know what? Um, my son, he's going to be the pastor now. Oh, you know what? I have no sons. So my daughter, she's going to be the head pastor now. They're treating church like it's a family business. You see? Just warm bodies. Hey, son, come on. Be pastor. Hey, daughter, you can be pastor. You see? Wrong formula. Biblically, females can't be pastors. Coverings always male. Old Testament, New Testament, coverings always male. The only time when covering can be female is with babies, your children, you know, mothers, beautiful, beautiful mothers with your children covering. You see, it's powerful. It's beautiful. Formula leadership matters under Moses. Israel was fine under Joshua. They were fine. And this angel of the Lord in verse 2 is reminding them, you shall make no covenant with the inhabitants of this land. You shall tear down their altars. You shall tear down their altars. And notice, but you have not obeyed my voice. Why have you done this? Question mark. Why have you done this? Now, notice what this, this angel he are, he's said, you know, I led you from Egypt and you read other passages. You read, you, you read passages of Torah, writings of Moses. God, the almighty led Israel out of Egypt. And yet here in judges, the angel is saying, I led you from Egypt. You read passages in scripture about covenant that Israel made with the Almighty. And here in Judges 2 and verse 1, this angel is saying, I will never break my covenant with you. Remember, there are certain practices that are forbidden for Jews and Christians, Jew and Gentile. And I speak as a Gentile Christian. Now, understand, you know, in Christ, there is no Jew and Gentile. But I say this to my Jewish friends. There is only one scenario. There is only one scenario where this is 
even permissible to the Almighty. And it's when this angel is his son. It's when this man, as in Joshua 5, is his son. That is the only case when this is permissible. You see? And in verse 2, he says, you have not obeyed my voice. Very interesting. You have not obeyed my voice. This angel, you have not obeyed my voice. Remember our study in Hebrews? How the Lord spoke in time is past, but today speaks through Jesus you see this alignment, this beautiful, beautiful alignment? There's only one scenario where this is even permissible. We haven't even touched the New Testament. I made some references to the New Testament, but as far as studies and reading texts, we, we haven't even touched the New Testament. This is Old Testament for my Jewish friends whom I love. You have plenty reason to be cautious with Christians from the run-of-the-mill Christian you have plenty reason to be cautious. But the very text, the very ancient texts reveal who Jesus is. But you have to have eyes to see and ears to hear. And understand that in Joshua 5, for Joshua to worship, he would have been disobedient. In all cases, he would have been disobedient. In every single case, he would have been disobedient to worship, except for one way. One way. Jesus. And so this angel poses the question in verse 2, why have you done this? Question mark. Why have you done this? In verse 2, make no covenant with the people. Make no covenant with the inhabitants of the land. It's you that shall tear down their altars. But you have not obeyed my voice. Why? Why is this? And so look at what happens here in verse 3. Therefore, remember, 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 God is reactionary. Therefore is like, you know, like saying as a result. And so in verse three, therefore, I also said, I will not drive them out before you. I will not drive them out before you, but they shall be thorns in your side and their gods shall be a snare to you. You see? This therefore that we see in verse 3, it's, you know, as a result, because you did not tear down their altars. Remember in, in, in verse 2, you shall tear down their altars. You know, make no covenant with the inhabitants of this land. You shall tear down their altars. And in verse 3, therefore, you know, as a result, because you didn't tear down their altars. And this angel says, okay. As a result. I'm not driving them out from before you. They're going to be thorns in your side. They're gods. They're going to be a snare to you. 
So it was, in verse 4, when the angel of the Lord spoke these words to all the children of Israel, that the people lifted up their voices and wept. Then they called the name of the place Bochim, Bochim, which is lamentation, weeping, Bochim. And in verse 3, he says, their gods shall be a snare to you. But Lord, Lord, you promise victory. You promise victory and you are almighty. Always remember, there are effectuators to the promises of God. Understand that there are people who will stand before the Lord and they will say, Lord, Lord, notice they call him Lord. We did all these things in your name. And he is the one who will respond to them. Depart from me, you workers of iniquity. You see? No obedience. No obedience. Instead of saying, you workers of righteousness, you workers of iniquity. Remember our study in Hebrews, we're not saved by works. We come to Jesus at 0%. We have no righteousness when a person comes to Jesus. There is no righteousness. We come to Jesus at zero. But from there, we grow. We mature. We move on to perfection. 5%, 15%, 23%, 30%, and we grow and mature in Christ. We come to Jesus at 0%. We're not saved by works because we come to Jesus with nothing. But as we grow, as we mature, as we move away from the elementary things, remember our study in Hebrews 5? And we move away from the elementary things and we move on to perfection. Don't forget, if the Lord permits. If the Lord permits, because the Lord knows. The Lord knows the hearts. The Lord knows the minds. The workers of righteousness. Entry into the kingdom. Entry into the promised land. Entry into Zion. That's for the workers of righteousness. Oh, but we're not saved by works. We're not saved by works. I'm not talking about initial salvation. Remember, the biblical formula is not once saved, always saved. The biblical formula is once saved, stay saved. You see? Because if it were once saved, always saved, how could Jesus say, to people who say to him, Lord, Lord, we did all these things in your name. How could Jesus say, depart from me, you workers of iniquity? They're standing before him. How could he say, if it was once saved, always saved, how could he say that? You see? Obedience is an effectuator. We're not saved by works, but the Bible reveals we are saved for works. Works unto the Lord. Works unto the Lord. Works unto the kingdom. For his kingdom. Not my kingdom. Not your kingdom. His kingdom. Servants of the Most High. You see? And age doesn't matter. I know some 
pretty young workers <laughs> to those with ears. I know some pretty young workers. And praise be to the Lord. And look what happens here in verse 4. So it was when the angel of the Lord spoke these words to all the children of Israel that the people lifted up their voices and wept. Then they called the name of that place Bochim, Lamentation, and they sacrificed there to the Lord. And when Joshua had dismissed the people. Now, understand here in verse 6, we see some overlap of sequence. We'll explain that. <clears throat> some overlap of sequence. And in Joshua 24, so in our study in Joshua 24, just several weeks ago, Joshua dies. And then you have in Judges, the next book, Judges chapter 1, how, you know, in, in, in after the death of Joshua, it says, you know, after the death of Joshua, and he gives a brief synopsis, if you will. And then in Judges 2, you know, you see Joshua dies. But chronologically, you know, you could see, chronologically speaking, you could go Joshua 24, Judges chapter 2, and then Judges chapter 1. Chronologically, you could do like Joshua 24, Judges 2, and then Judges 1. And understand that much of our studies in the Old Testament of recent times, but much of our studies here in Torah, Pentateuch, five books of Moses, who wrote about Jesus, Remember the Pharisees who says, you know, oh, we follow Moses. We're hardcore. We follow Moses. And Jesus says to them, Moses wrote about me. Moses wrote about me. Now, if you're listening and if you're Jewish and you're listening, you're like, what? Jesus really said that? Jesus says Moses wrote about me? And you're wondering, how could it be? I studied Torah. How could this be? If you're Jewish, go to thewayunderground.com. And there are archive studies specifically for you, my Jewish friend, whom I love. And you'll see Moses wrote about Jesus. Fulfillment of the law. And in our studies in Torah, much of it has been in chronological order. And here we start to see deviation from that type of chronology. And I used to not like that. I used to, you know, why, why isn't the Bible written in chronological order? I used to not like that. But today, I love it. I love it. When I was a young Christian, I didn't like it. I, I wanted the Bible in chronological order when I was a, a younger believer. But today, I love it so much. You know why? Because it's like a puzzle. It's like a puzzle. And when put together properly, you see a beautiful image. And biblically speaking, the image is Jesus. The Word became flesh. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. You see, it's not that God scatters the puzzle pieces to confuse us. He is not the author of confusion, but He knows the heart. And when he sees the noble heart, he is the one who helps us put the pieces together to reveal himself more and more and more and more and more and more and more deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper. You and me together, we fall deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper in love with our maker, our creator, our savior, our king, our Lord. 
And when he helps us put these pieces together, don't forget, there's the helper that he gives. His Holy Spirit, Paracletus. You see? But when the heart is not noble, now there's many reasons for this and Satan indeed plays a role. Remember the seed and what Satan does, attempts to do? Luke chapter 8. When a heart is not noble, the puzzle remains scattered and there is a concealing. You see? Remember, the word of God is spiritually discerned. That's from 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 13. The word of God is spiritually discerned. It's the Holy Spirit. The helper, Paracletus, who helps us put the pieces together. And when the pieces come together, the beautiful image and the image is Jesus. In the beginning was the word. And the word was with God and the word was God. And the word became flesh. You see? You say, I'm Jewish. I don't, I don't acknowledge that. I don't recognize the New Testament. I'm Jewish. Okay. In the beginning, Elohim. In the beginning, Elohim. The triune nature of God. God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit. You see? And as Jesus says, I and my Father are one. I and my Father are one. How is it in Judges chapter 2? How is it that this angel of the Lord can even say, I led you from Egypt. I will never break my covenant with you. How is it that Joshua could worship and not be in the wrong, not be disobedient? There is only one way. One way. It's because this angel, this commander of the armies of the Lord, he's not run-of-the-mill angel. No offense to Gabriel. No offense to Michael. No offense to the angels whom I do not know their names yet. And the only one way is Jesus. That's the only way. You see? And for my Jewish friends, you too, like Joshua, can worship the commander of the armies of the Lord. You too can worship this angel of the Lord, except this. The seed has come. The seed has come. And the seed has died. And the seed has risen. It's Jesus, a lamb without blemish who takes away the sins of the world. You say, how can that be? I'm Jewish. I've studied Torah. Well, go and listen to those messages, thewayunderground.com. Go and listen to our studies in the Old Testament. Go and listen to our studies in Torah, and you'll see exactly how Jesus wrote of Jesus. Or how, how Moses wrote of Jesus. You'll see it. And your heart won't be like the heart of the Pharisees. But your heart will be the noble heart. That is my prayer. That is my sincere prayer 
for you, my Jewish friends. We're living in the last days. Look at the, the heifers that they have, the red heifers. Five qualified red heifers. Now, there were previous. Do you remember? If you've been listening to us for a while, you know this already. But there were mentions made years ago about how, you know, the bioengineering of red heifers and how these rabbis are going around the world and talking to farmers and saying, listen, if you get a red heifer, if you're, if your flock, if in your flock, a cow gives birth to a red heifer, you know, like, here's my card, give us a call. Here's my card, give me a call. And so what happened, there were these red, these heifers, they were red heifers and they were born in Texas and they happened to have the, the calling card. And they say, wow, I remember those rabbis came to town and they told us if we have red heifers. So listen, you know, here's a, you know, you got that business card, you know, and then the, the wife pulls out the business card. Yeah, here it is. And they gave a call to the rabbis. Sure enough, the rabbis came to visit five qualified red heifers and say they, they were flown, flown to Israel, landed, landed in Israel just last week. Five qualified red heifers. Now, a couple years ago, about a year and a half ago, there were qualified heifers. But, you know, and, and according to the law, they have to be sacrificed at a certain age before they hit a certain age. And by the time that time came for those previous heifers, they found blemishes. They found, you know, oh, we got a little white hair here. Oh, there's a little blemish over here. And so they became disqualified. And so now, What's happening with these five red heifers, qualified red heifers today, just landed from, from Texas, just landed in Israel last week. There are rabbis today who's saying, let's sacrifice these now because what happened with the last batch, so to speak, but you know, the last grouping or the last batch, there was blemish in them. And so, you know, it's like, oh, we waited too long because, you know, now the blemish happened. So with this next fight, there are rabbis today saying, let's sacrifice now. Let's have the ashes now. And let's prepare for the third temple to start building the third temple. It's happening. We're living in the last days. The beginning of the 70th week of Daniel could happen very soon. Now, I do not teach a pre-tribulation rapture. You know why? Because it's not found in the Bible. The pre-tribulation rapture theory, it is not in the Bible. It is written. The living will by no means precede those who are asleep. It is written. The living will by no means precede the dead. And all these studies are archived. We say archived, and they are archived, but I fully expect to be shut down. I've already had to explain to, you know, some of our platforms have already been shut down, and I've had to have these conversations like, you know, uh, what, what, what is this ministry all about? You know, well, well, you know, just Bible study, that's it. But in very short order, I fully expect to be defined. Oh, this is hate speech. This is hate speech. We're shutting you down. It's already happened on some platforms. So 
as for the present, the archives are there. We're living in the last days. Pre-tribulation rapture is unbiblical. Now, if you're listening and you're like, wow, I've been listening to you for a couple weeks and, you know, I'm pre-trib and this and that. And now I hear you say you're not pre-trib. It's like, you know, I, I understand if you're a believer, I know that takes a lot of Christians by shock. I understand completely. For you, go and listen to those archives. Go and listen to those archives. It's for you, free of charge of, for $19.95. For a small payment, you know, for a love gift of 1995. No. It's not about money. Freely I have received, freely I have given. It's for you. It's for your soul. It's for you to understand the times. And be ready for the things that are coming upon the earth as God makes himself known. You see, just like he did in Egypt when he made himself known. A lot of hard hearts are going to be revealed in these last days. But you know what? There's going to be some soft ones too. And praise be to the Lord. That's my hope. So if you're a believer and you're pre-trib, it's like my whole life I've been taught pre-trib. I get it. It's common. It's it's taught everywhere. I don't teach it. It's not in the Bible. And you hear me say that. Like, how could you say that? How could you dare utter those words? Because, oh, this, this theologian teaches pre-trib rapture. Okay, that's nice. He's a man. He's a created entity just like you, just like me. We go to the source, the word of God. Go and listen to those studies. You'll see, we're living in the last days. And you know what? The church, Christians, are asleep. Also prophetic fulfillment. because It is prophesied the church will be asleep. Several things are prophesied. I mean, you know, many things are prophesied. But in this regard, the church will be crazy town and the church will be asleep. What do you see in the, these days today? The church is crazy town and the church is asleep. <laughs> It's sad. It, it kills me. It breaks my heart. But the word doesn't change. God never changes. You see? Let not many be teachers. That's what the Bible teaches. Let not many be teachers. And so, you know, the word of God, the word of God is spiritually discerned. You see, spiritually discerned. And I love it. You know, when we see this chronology of events that is happening in like in Judges 2, and you know, it's like you know, in, in verse 6, when Joshua had dismissed the people, you're like, wait a second, I thought Joshua was dead. I thought he died. Yes, he did die in our study in in uh, uh, Joshua 24. You know, you see him speaking, you know, as for me and my house, we shall serve the Lord. And then in the end of Joshua 24, he dies. And then in in, in Judges, the next book in Joshua 1, it's like, you know, it's, you know, uh, 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 after the death of Joshua. But then here in Judges 2, it's like, well, what's Joshua doing here? Because now we're starting to leave that chronology so to speak we're leaving that chronology and just as we said earlier you know when i was a young christian i didn't like it but today i love it because that beautiful beautiful puzzle piece 
fits over here perfectly fits over here to this piece perfectly fits here perfectly fits here per and is there's like a, you know a, a jigsaw puzzle of you know a million pieces and this fits perfectly over here this fits perfectly over there fits perfect it doesn't you don't have to jam the pieces together where you see the little opening and you're like you know if people get frustrated like you know with a puzzle you know it's like oh i i want to finish this puzzle and i want to make this fit but you know it doesn't fit you see the little opening and you're like that doesn't even fit and with the word of God as the helper, the paracletus. Because the word of God is spiritually discerned. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 13. It's the Holy Spirit who puts all the pieces together for you, for me. So that we can understand. You see? And knowing that the word of God is spiritually discerned. And that there are gifts of the spirit. Every high priest, sacrifice and gifts. You have Christians today. They believe in Jesus. But they don't believe in the gifts. A lot of Calvinists and Reformed theology. They call it theology. I call it theory. A lot of Calvinists and Reformed theory. Oh, the gifts of the Spirit. That was for 2,000 years ago. That's not for today. But they willfully and woefully forget. Because they have bad teachers, bad pastors, bad elders, bad overseers, disqualified overseers who don't teach them that every high priest has sacrifice and gifts. As the Bible says, it just so happens we studied this on Sunday. You see? And knowledge of the word of God that's a gift of the Spirit. You see? It's a gift of the Spirit. I've had these conversations with people. It's like, how come, you know, I listen to the Calvinists, I listen to the Reformed, and the person tells me, why are they so mean? And it's not... The, it's it's pretty simple. We don't have to get into all oh, that big theological debate. Well, you know, you know, according to the circumference of the perpendicular doohickey over here, you know, you don't have to get all scientific or anything. It's pretty easy. Love is a gift of the spirit, the greatest gift. More and more, I have these little side conversations with people, kind of somewhat timid to buck the system so to speak a little timid to go to the elders a little timid to go to the pastors because you know a lot of these pastors a lot of these elders a lot of these so-called overseers they like to tout you know and puff their chest and oh look i'm the pastor i'm the head elder here i'm the head pastor and oh look i have my pastor parking spot and look i have my doctor in theology look i have this i have that that's nice that's nice because biblically speaking, the Bible says you're a fool, pastor. Oh, the gifts of the spirit. That was for 2000 years ago. You know, I have my doctorate in theology. Look, I went to seminary over here and the Bible says that the gifts of the spirit was 2000 years ago. It's not for today. Every high priest has sacrifice and gifts. see 
So what high priest do you worship, O pastor? What high priest do you teach, O pastor? If the high priest you speak of has no gifts. You see? And these timid Christians, oh, I'm afraid. I don't know the Bible very much. I don't know the Bible very well. And this guy, he's got his doctorate. He's got his, he went to seminary. He's got his degree in theology. Professing to be wise, they became fools. And in some cases, they serve their father, the devil. You know why? Because in Calvinist and Reformed churches, you know what they're teaching? Go ahead and take the mark of the beast. You'll still be saved. That's what they're teaching. You know why? Because once saved, always saved. Go ahead and take the mark of the beast. Once saved, always saved. Their very premise is faulty, wrong, incorrect. You see? If you're Calvinist and Reformed, I love you. Go and listen to our studies, thewayunderground.com. Go. It's there. Everything's archived. It's housed for you. Go and listen. You'll hear the so-called pastor say, yeah, go ahead and take the mark of the beast. You'll still be saved. You'll hear it. Sometimes people are shocked. Well, how dare look at that? This is God's anointed. How dare you speak against God's anointed? Listen, that ain't anointing. That ain't anointing of the Lord. A person says, go ahead and take the mark of the beast. You'll still be saved. That's not the Lord. That's their father, the devil, Satan, Lucifer, Beelzebub. You see, one of the things that utterly kills me about false teachers, it kills me. The real Jesus is concealed from them. The fake Jesus, oh, they love the fake Jesus. But the real Jesus, the biblical Jesus, whose word is above his name, he's concealed from the false teacher. They speak, they, they, their, their platitudes and what they say, it's carnal. But what kills me about them is that believers follow them. Saints, listen to what they say. Saints, listen to what they speak without knowing that they speak with a forked tongue. Remember, Paul was afraid. He says, I'm afraid. Phobia. He explained his phobia to the saints in Corinth. He says, I'm afraid for you guys. Because the Pseudodelphos, the false teacher, is going to come in with another Jesus, another gospel, another spirit. And he says, you know what? You guys are going to put up with it. Remember in Galatians, you know, the Pseudodelphos, they come in secretly. And when Paul wrote about it, he's like, you know, I don't care about this guy, you know. What he says, that's irrelevant to me. Well, he, say, he says this, he says this, he says this. That's irrelevant. I don't care. But what's, what's, what's the meat and potatoes of his doctrine? He can have a nice smile on his face. That's, he can dress up nice. That's nice. He could, you know, have, have his, you know, highlights in his hair. Talk with his rock star voice. You know, oh, you know, let's pray together. Talk with his rock star voice. That's nice. I don't care about all that. What's the meat and potatoes of his doctrine? Because Galatian saints, he wants to take you back to the law? And you want to follow him? He speaks of these platitudes and you want to follow him? Does righteousness come through the law? Because if righteousness comes through the law, then Jesus died in vain. Have I become your enemy because I tell you the truth? 
You see, and then you get into the letters to Timothy. Everyone has left me, Timothy. The saints in Asia have left. All the saints in Asia have left me. See? Lonely road for Paul. Not unlike Jeremiah. Not unlike the prophets of old. But they know who they serve. And in that they rejoice. Because they serve the only potentate. Jesus. You see? Joshua. Worshipping the man. Capital M. The only way that's permissible is when it's Jesus. That's the only way. And so this angel in Judges 2. You see, he says, you know, because, uh, 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 you know, because you, uh, 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 you know, in verse two, make no covenant with the inhabitants of the land. You shall tear down their altars. You have not, but you have not obeyed my voice. And then he says, therefore, remember, God is reactionary. And so all of a sudden in verse six, and Joshua had dismissed the people. And a lot of times, you know, mockers in the last days, you say, you see, in, 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 in Joshua 20, or in Joshua 24, Joshua died. But here in Judges 2, he's alive. You see, you see, the Bible is fake. The Bible is fake. The Bible is full of contradictions. No, there are no contradictions in the Bible. The contradiction is in the people. The contradiction is in the hearts. The contradiction is in the mockers. Repent. If you are listening and you're in the camp of the mocker, repent. Repent. And you too. You too. Just like the Jews I spoke to, just like the Calvinists I spoke to, just like the Reformed that I spoke to, just like the Catholics that I spoke to. You hit pause, you listen to the message, and you commit your life to Christ. Listen to the message, how to commit your life to Christ. And you commit your life to Christ right here, right now. Let today be the day of salvation. And then you come back, you listen. And we grow together. We journey together. To paradise, the promised land, according to the Spirit, Zion. So in verse 6, Joshua had dismissed the people. The children of Israel went each to his own inheritance to possess the land. You see, they have the inheritance and it's so beautiful. But at the same time, where is the obedience? Where is the obedience? So like in chronological order, if we were to look in chronological order, it would be like, you know, Joshua 24, Judges 2, and then Judges 1. And I, I love that. I used to not like it, but I love it now. Because the Holy Spirit helps us understand. The Holy Spirit puts the pieces together and we see the image of Christ. We see the image of the commander of the armies of the Lord. We see the image of the one who led God's people from Egypt. And we see him. You see, he is the one who says, I and my father are one. In the beginning was the word, the word was with God and the word was God and the word became flesh. You're Jewish. You say, oh, I'm Jewish. I don't, I don't read the New Testament. Okay. 
In the beginning, Elohim. In the beginning, Elohim. Now we see in verse 7, so that people serve the Lord all the days of Joshua. Now, for me, this verse is beautiful and painful. Because, you know, it's beautiful because, wow, Joshua remained so faithful to the Lord. And in doing so, things were safe for Israel. But it's painful because Joshua dies. The elders die. And why aren't the people faithful? You see, leadership matters. Leadership matters. You know, this is seen in homes too. You know, kids go to church. Kids go to church and everything seems fine. A family goes to church and everything seems fine. But then what happens? The kids grow up. They leave home. Oh, I'm 18 years old. I'm out of here. Or, you know, some liberal households. You know, oh, I'm 28 years old. I'm out of here. Like super liberal. Oh, I'm 32 years old. I'm out of here. Then you get the super duper liberals. Oh, I'm 42. I'm out of here. But what happens is that kids, the 18 years old, and they leave home. And when they leave home, it's almost like they also leave the Lord. You see? Because they go out and they party. They do the sex. They do the drugs. They do the alcohol. They do all kinds of different things. When there's parental covering, when there's parental covering, when a parental covering trains the children, teaches the children, you know, at age 10, walking with the Lord, at age 13, walking with the Lord, at age 15, walking with the Lord, parental covering, at age 18, walking with the Lord. The kid says, okay, I'm out of here. No longer parental covering, but the child is still walking with the Lord. You see? The child is still walking with the Lord. Knows all about formula. You see? Knows all about formula. So, you know, kid moves across the country. Kid moves across, you know, states. Kids move to wherever. They know formula. Because they were trained well. When there's parental covering, trained well. But then the kids leave. What if they didn't have parental covering? You know, age 5, walking with the Lord. At age 10, walking with the Lord. At age 13, walking with the Lord. At age 14, all oh, my friends are sexually active now. All oh, my friends are doing drugs. And at age 15, oh yeah, there's more sex, more drugs. At age 16, all of a sudden, the child gets caught up in those lifestyles. At age 18, I'm out of here. No longer safe. I mean, we, we see that's in a, in, in a home setting, but we see this in a church setting too. I mean, compare Corinth and Philippi. Compare Corinth and Philippi. All the studies are archived. They're archived for you. Go and listen to those studies. How to grow and mature in Christ. The way underground.com. It's housed there. Presently. How to grow and mature in Christ. And you listen. And you're going to see like, wow, Corinth and Philippi are very different. You're going to see it. 
And here in verse 7 in Judges chapter 2, that people serve the Lord, which is like, wow, praise the Lord, they're serving the Lord. But it's, notice, all the days of Joshua. It's like kids, you know, like, you know, oh yeah, I'm going to serve the Lord. I'm going to serve the Lord. You know, all the days of mom and dad. I'm going to serve the Lord all the days of mama. I'm going to serve the Lord all the days of papa. But when I'm 18, I'm out of here and I'm going to, I'm going to go serve, you know, alcohol. I'm going to go serve Buddha. I'm going to go serve, you know, uh, uh, the sex and the drugs and you see. But what happens when the Lord is theirs? And they are the Lord's different ball game. You see? And so the people here in verse seven, they serve the Lord all the days of Joshua. Leadership matters. And all the days of the elders who outlived Joshua, who had seen all the great works of the Lord, which he had done for Israel. In verse eight, now Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died when he was 110 years old. And they buried him within the border of, inher of his inheritance at Timnath Heres. Now, mockers in these last days, they say, look, the Bible says Timnath Heres. But in Joshua 24 says Timnath Serah. And, you know, I have a little beef with the translators because Timnath Heres and in Joshua 24, Timnath Serah, in both cases, it's Timnath in both cases. So I have a little beef with the translators. They buried him. Joshua. He died. Within the border of his inheritance at Timnath Heres, in the mountains of Ephraim, on the north side of Mount Gash. In verse 10. When all that generation had been gathered to their fathers. So, now the generation dies and now there's the next generation, the next generation. And notice in verse 10, when all that generation had been gathered to their fathers, another generation arose after them who did not know the Lord, nor the work which he had done for Israel. Wow. It's terrible. It's terrible. It's terrible. It's devastating. This is painful. Because, I mean, if you've been walking with us for a while, you see how beautiful it is for the fulfillment of God's promises to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, God's, whose name was changed to Israel, governed by God. Remember the wrestling match? from our study in Genesis, if you've been walking with us for a while, and you see the fulfillment, God's promises, you know, rescue from bondage, from Egypt, rescue, the straight up rescue mission. And now you have, you know, the second generation who passes into the promised land. Second generation. Now, for my Jewish listeners, if you're listening for the first time, first generation, they died in the wilderness. But it's the same with you and me. Born into Adam. Born into Adam. And then there's born again into Christ. First generation, dead. And that first generation, my Jewish friend, is your flesh. 
born into Adam. And then there's born again into Christ. And it's that second generation. If you're Jewish, you're listening, and you didn't heed my prior call to come to Christ and believe in Jesus, the Lamb without blemish who takes away the sins of the world, whose sandals I'm not worthy to wash. You hit pause, you listen to the message, how to commit your life to Christ. And you commit your life to Christ right here, right now. Commit your life to Christ. Born again, second generation for you, my Jewish friend. You do that, Mazel Tov. You see? Now, second generation, entry into the promised land, according to the Spirit, and I speak of Zion. And here, this generation observe Israel according to the flesh, according to the flesh, according to the flesh. Joshua did not give rest because the law that he had was the fleshly commandments. Remember our study in Hebrews? The fleshly commandments. You see? But the high priest, not according to Aaron, according to Melchizedek. You see? Shalem. Shalem. It is written. All these things are written. All these truths are written. Little, you know, in little puzzle, puzzle pieces. Little piece here, little piece there, little piece here, little piece there. A million pieces. But the Lord puts them together. The Spirit puts them together to help us understand because the Word of God is spiritually discerned. Where are the teachers? Where are the pastors? Where are the shepherds? Where are the shepherds? Noun. To shepherd, verb, where are they? Where are the shepherds to shepherd? Where are the pastors to pastor? Where are the teachers to teach? Where? Behold the last days. And this generation, here in verse 10 of Joshua 2, the new generation, because the previous generation, they've died. And then the next generation that arose after them who did not know the Lord nor the work which he has done for Israel. You see, it's happening here in Israel. I mean, in, in Judges too. But we see this very thing in homes too. A nice Christian home, for example. Take a nice Christian home. Dear old dad, dear old mom, several kids. Everyone believes in Jesus. Everybody goes to church nice and safe. But there's a problem. They go to church where the pastor is defunct, like the Corinthians had. Not like Philippi, they had good pastors, but like the Corinthians had. The pastor fails to teach them sound doctrine, spiritual warfare, and there's no equipping. Now, what happens? Spiritually speaking, what happens? I could say spiritually speaking, but also literally speaking. Because the Bible says when a person is freed, in the Lord, that like a demon, a demon leaves. And praise be to the Lord, there is victory. But the Bible says, Jesus warns. He says that the demons, they're going to come back. Where there was victory before, the demon left. But as a result of not being equipped and not learning how to fight the good fight, 
Dear old dad, he goes back to the sex, goes back to the drugs, goes back to the Ouija boards, you know, goes back to the rock and roll, goes back to the alcohol, goes back to all of it. His old lifestyle, the old nature, the old man was not reckoned dead. And then demons come back and he's not ready. Where before he was freed in the Lord and there was victory in Christ. Praise be to the Lord. Absolutely. Freedom in Christ. But he was not equipped. He didn't learn how to fight. His pastor didn't take him to the mat to teach him how to fight. Not, not like in an actual fight and a brawl, but in a teacher student type of context. His teacher didn't take him to the mat and teach him how to fight. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal. They're spiritual. And so what happens? Those demons were the dad, dear old dad, beautiful, beautiful, dear old dad. Free from sex, drugs, rock and roll, Ouija boards, etc. All of a sudden the demons come back. And how Jesus, how it translates when Jesus speaks, he says, it's like a spiritual vacation. Instead of being on the mat, learning how to fight. No, he's on spiritual. He's like, you know, on, you know, uh, on, on the sands, you know, on, on the white sands, you know, he's in, you know, they just taking a spirit. Oh, look, I have freedom in Christ. Oh, look, I'm a Christian. Look, I have freedom in Christ and all these things. And look, I'm, everything is so beautiful. And But there's a danger behind not being ready for a fight. Because those demons are going to come back. And the Bible says the state of him is worse than the first. Have you ever seen that in a Christian? Male, female, it doesn't matter. But you see that in a male, female where like, you know, they were formerly on like marijuana and maybe sexually active. And maybe, you know, they drink, you know, beer every now and then. I'm not like glossing over that. Like, okay, you know, no big deal. No. So, and then all of a sudden they come to Christ. And they come to Christ and it's like, wow, look, he's, he's, not doing, he's not sexually active anymore. She's not sexually active anymore. She's not doing the pot. He's not doing the, the whiskey or the, the, the beer. He's not doing the, not going to party. You know, we go to church and all these things. And like, look, he reads his Bible. And then there's a problem. It, everything seems fine. But the pastor that he goes to, the pastor that he's submitting himself to, is not taking him to the mat. Not in a, like, you know, like, you know, like, hey, I'm going to break your arm type of sense. But no, the pastor is not taking him to the mat to teach him how to break arms, you know, spiritually speaking, metaphysically speaking. The pastor is not taking him to the mat to teach him, you know, this is how you crack this. This is how you break this. This is how you rip out this. This is how you tear out this. Metaphysically speaking. Spiritually speaking, the pastor is not teaching him. Unbeknownst to the young believer. Now, how I don't blame the young believer. How could the how could the new believer even understand? They're just a baby. It's like who who in their right mind would teach calculus to a two-year-old? Who would teach calculus to a two-year-old? No, the two-year-old has to, you know, baby steps. But we don't stay on milk forever. And so the demons come back. And they see, okay. Now, the demon that comes back, the demon that left, when he comes back, he doesn't come back by himself. He comes back with worse demons. You see? And when that believer is not ready for that fight, 
because the pastor didn't take him to the mat to teach him. You know, this is how you break this. This is how you crack this. This is how you rip out this. This is how you tear out this. Metaphysically speaking, spiritually speaking, those demons are going to come back and it's a piece of cake for them. And the Bible says, Jesus says, the state of that man is worse than the first. And you see this, it's like, wow, this guy used to do marijuana. This lady used to do marijuana. And like, you know, and like they went, they became a Christian. And wow, that's so cool. They went to church for like, you know, five months. They went to church for, you know, maybe two years. But then you see like, wow, their, their pastor was like, you know, rock and roll guy. Their pastor was like, you know, Hillsong, you know, never learned how to fight. That just got entertained, you know, went there and went to a concert every Sunday. Their pastor was Hillsong. And then now that person is no longer going to church, no longer walking with Jesus. And he was he was doing pot before, but now he's doing meth. Now he's doing crack. Now he drinks whiskey like water. Now, you know, he's doing the sex like crazy. Now he's going to the casinos. He's always at the bars. He's always at the strip clubs. He's always with the prostitutes. And it's like, wow, just like Jesus says. Just like Jesus says, the state of that man is worse than the first. You see? Then you have the Calvinist, the Reformed theory. Oh, he was never saved. Because remember, to the Calvinist, to the Reformed, is once saved, always saved. So using that theology, they say, well, he was never saved. Instead of aligning themselves to what the Bible says, what Jesus says about the short-term believer, Luke chapter 8. Instead of aligning themselves to what the Bible says, they formulate these ideas based on what their pastor says. Their pastor who always says, you know, who also says, go ahead and take the mark of the beast, you'll still be saved. You see? Oh, because once saved, always saved, go ahead and take the mark of the beast. Once saved, always saved. So that guy, who was never really a Christian. Their theology doesn't align with the word of God. They have puzzle pieces. But the puzzle pieces don't fit. The puzzle pieces do not fit. You, ever, you know, if the puzzle pieces don't fit, if you, if you take a puzzle that has 100 pieces, we'll make it easy. Say so there's like, you know, 20 pieces, like little, little kid puzzle. In order to see the image of that puzzle, the pieces must fit perfectly. If the pieces, if you try to jam the pieces together, you're not going to like, you know, the puzzles are square, you know, most puzzles, they're square little rectangle. And you might look at it, you know, in, you know, long ways or upward ways or like, you know, whatever the image is. But if you try to jam the pieces where it doesn't fit and you see the gaps there and you just try to, you know, I'm going to shove this piece in here. I'm going to shove this in here and I'm going to put this here and shove it here and you jam it in. You're not going to see the image. You will see an image, but it will be the wrong image. But scripturally speaking, theologically speaking, the same thing happens with the word of God. If you try to jam pieces, if you try to jam verses, you're not going to have the image of Christ. 
the biblical Jesus, whose word is above his name. You'll have an image, all right. But it's not going to be the biblical Jesus. It's going to be the false Jesus who has no gifts. The false Jesus who has no gifts and pastors who align themselves with the false Jesus who has no gifts. They teach, oh, the gifts of the spirit that was for 2000 years ago. It is not for today. You see, but it's the false Jesus. That's what Paul was afraid of. Jesus, when the disciples asked him, what's the sign of your coming? He says, there will be many Christs. There will be false teachers and many Christs. That's what he says. The Christ, capital C, says there will be many Christs, lowercase c. And Paul's fear, he says, these false teachers, they're going to come in with another Jesus, another gospel, and another spirit. Paul says, I'm not afraid for them, those false teachers. He says to the saints, I'm afraid for you. You know why? Because you're going to put up with it. You're going to put up with it. You see? What's happening today? Believers are putting up with it. Oh, but he went to theology school. He's got his doctorate in theology. He went to seminary, what I call cemetery. You see? A pastor who teaches that the gifts of the Spirit are not for today does not understand who the high priest is, the biblical high priest in the order of Melchizedek, because he serves another Jesus. You see, you got to jump ship. You have to jump ship. We're in the last days. We have to jump ship or you have to jump ship. And welcome aboard. You see? Because these pastors are teaching, go ahead and take the mark of the beast. You'll still be saved. You know what the Bible says? You take the mark of the beast, you're going to burn in hell. That's what the Bible says. You take the mark of the beast, you're going to burn in hell. That's what the Bible says. And you have pastors, so-called pastors. Go ahead and take the mark of the beast. You'll still be saved. You see? So in the example we gave where dear old dad, you know, like the pastor that he went to, you know, the nice Christian home, the pastor that they went, they went to church. The Bible says submit to the pastor. They submitted to the pastor. But the pastor was the Hillsong brand. Pastor didn't teach how to fight. They didn't teach, you know, this is how you break bones. <clears throat> this is how you snap necks, metaphys metaphysically speaking, spiritually speaking. This is how you tear this. This is how you kill, metaphysically speaking. This is how you kill wolves. The pastor didn't teach them. The pastor never took them to the mat to teach him, to teach the wife, to teach the kids. Oh, but we're going to submit to the pastor. Look, they got a nice band. I like his rock star voice. I like going Sunday. He said, let us pray. I like the highlights in his hair. 
I like his skinny jeans. I like his, you know, his nice leather jacket. Oh, look, he's so cool. He's so popular. Then you see the demons come back. The demon comes back with more demons that are worse. And now, dear old dad, who gave up the marijuana, now the demons come back and now he's on marijuana, crack, you know, cocaine, speed, you know, meth. He's got the meth mouth. He's alcoholic. He goes with the strippers. He does the casino. He does the Ouija board. He does all kinds of abominations. And the last state of him is worse than the first. You see? Fulfillment. Fulfillment. Fulfillment of the thing that Jesus warned about. Let's put dear old dad to the side and look at mom. She becomes an emotional wreck, total basket case. Understandably, you know what I mean? What she has to endure. But she becomes a basket case. And so she goes to marriage counseling. The pastor, you know, rock star pastor with his highlights, his skinny jeans and his jean jacket and, you know, his leather jacket. Oh, look, he's so popular. He's so famous. Oh, look, he's got, you know, millions of followers on social media. Oh, look, he's so popular. Look, he hobnobs with the celebrities. Look how cool he is. And in marriage counseling, she's told, oh, you got to submit to your husband. The Bible says you have to submit to your husband. And in submitting to the pastor, she submits to her husband. And it makes matters worse. Because she doesn't know she wasn't taken to the mat either. She doesn't know that the pastor's defunct, the husband's defunct. She doesn't know, I cannot submit to this pastor. I cannot submit to my husband in this state. Now, it's not to say, wives, it's not to say, okay, I'm going to get a divorce. No, it's to say, hold on to husband for dear life. Hold on to husband for dear life because you can save your husband. Husband goes crazy. That doesn't mean you have to go crazy too. You submit to the better husband, capital H, Jesus Christ. With one hand, you hold on to husband. With the other hand, you hold on to the beautiful children. And your body is like a cross in submission to the better husband, Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ over you, you under Jesus Christ, the covering. Always male. In one hand, you have husband. <laughs> and in the other hand, you have beautiful children. And you're holding on for dear life in submission to Jesus Christ, your better husband. And your body is like a cross. Sacrifice. You see? But the Hillsong rock, rock star pastor, oh, look, he's got the cool voice. And oh, yeah, he says, oh, you know, submit to your husband. And so the wife who's basket case, now she's even a worse basket case. And she feels powerless. And you know what? She is powerless. You know why? Wrong formula. No oil. Wrong formula. So she goes back to the bottle and drinks her pain away. You see, because the so-called, I'm doing my air quotes, intangible God 
didn't help her. You see? You know why? Because the God that defunct pastor was describing, the God that defunct husband proclaims to follow or claims to follow, the God that defunct pastor claims to follow, it's there's no the formulas. It's whack. It's 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 it's, it's off base. It's totally off. And so wife attempts to okay. I'm gonna submit to my pastor and do like he says. I'm gonna take his counsel. Oh look, he's rock star. He's got the highlights. He's got the cool voice. The rock star voice. He's got his cool jean jacket. His cool leather jacket. His skinny jeans. Oh, look, he's so cool. Look, he gives counsel to the stars. He gives counsel to the celebrities. Have you seen the celebrities? Have you seen their marriages, plural? Wife number one, wife number two, wife number three, girlfriend number 10, girlfriend number 20. Have you seen the celebrities? Oh, but he's rock star. Look, he's so cool. So I'm going to submit to him. And the wife, because there's no power, she says, oh, I need help. I need help. I'm so depressed. I'm so depressed. And then Satan starts to whisper. A uh, little vodka will take that pain away. A little whiskey will take that pain right away. Nice and, you know, five minutes. And what happens? The wife gets sucked into her old lifestyle. Drinking the pain away. Now the kids. The kids grow up in this abysmal home. They come of age wanting nothing to do with Jesus. They want nothing to do with Jesus. Because, you know, they were in family counseling. At the church they used to go to. Now, say it's Calvinist church, Reformed church. And they were told, oh, you have to submit to your parents. You have to submit to your parents. And God ordains everything to happen. Oh, we're Calvinists. And God ordains everything to happen. So, their family being a total wreck, the child concludes that it's God's fault. Because according to Calvinism, according to Reformed theology theory, God ordained that. You see? My home is a wreck and God ordained that? My parents are crazy and God, my mom is alcoholic. My dad is like crazy, like sex, drugs, you know, rock and roll, the whole nine yards, the, the Ouija boards, the casino and the strippers and prostitutes and, you know, Buddha and all this. And my mom is alcoholic and everything's a mess. And God, the Calvinist pastor says, God ordained that to happen. And that is God's perfect will. You see, because according to Calvinism, that's what Calvinism teaches. But let me tell you something. Calvinism is wrong. It's the Calvinists who are saying, take the mark of the beast, you'll still be saved. And the Bible says, if you heed that counsel and take the mark of the beast, the guy, he says you'll be saved. The Bible says You'll burn in hell. Balls in your court. 
A guy says, take the mark of the beast, you'll still be saved. The Bible says, you take the mark of the beast, you're going to burn in hell. Ball's in your court. Choose. Choose you this day whom you shall serve. And these kids, kids are smart. Kids are smarter than parents give them credit for. Kids are very smart. And as a result, these kids grow up. And they want absolutely nothing, 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 nothing to do with God. Because according to false doctrine, they don't realize it's false doctrine. But it's God's will for my home to be a mess. And so they go back to the pastor. How can it be God's will? And then the foolish pastor with his degrees on the wall. Well, there's God's will and then there's God's perfect will. You see, listen, God's not bipolar like the pastor is. God never changes. God's will is perfect. But these foolish men, well, there's God's will and then there's his perfect will. And then, you know, they come up with, they formulate other, you know, like he's tripolar. You know, God is, has multiple personalities. No, that's the foolish pastor who's bipolar. That's the pastor who's a schizo. The most high order. But you have these foolish schizo pastors. Oh, there's God's will. There's his permissive will. And then there's his perfect will. You see? And so these people have the, 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 the kids like, how could this be? Hey, pastor, how, how could this be God's will? Look, my home is falling apart. How could this be God's will? Well, it's not his perfect will. It's not his perfect will, but. You know, this is his will. He ordained this to happen, but it's not his perfect will. Listen, God's not bipolar like you, pastor. You see? And if you're a kid, you go to counseling, you could say that to your pastor. I mean, with respect, but just say point blank. Hey, I'm jumping ship. But before I jump ship, you know, God's not bipolar. You and this theology, that's bipolar. You see? Jump ship. It's not jump ship and you're going to drown in the ocean. Jump ship and welcome aboard. Welcome to the last days because that's where we are. The church is crazy town. You see? And these kids grow up. I want nothing to do with church. I want nothing, nothing to do with Jesus. And then you have a generation. They grow up. They have their kids. And you have the next generation who knows not the Lord a generation who knows not the Lord nor the works which he has done. You see? Meanwhile, you have other, you know, people in that Calvinist church, oh, they were never really Christian. They were never really saved. You know what the Bible says? The Bible answer is, the biblical answer is, they fell away. They fell away. This is going to be on overdrive in the last days. It's called the falling away. It's prophesied to happen. Where in the world are the pastors? Where are the pastors? Where are the teachers? Where are the elders? Where are the shepherds? Where are the overseers to care, to feed, to tend the flock of God? Not the pastor's flock flock of God, the flock of the Almighty. Where are these men? Where are these men? Now you see Paul's heart. 
when he says to the Corinthians, you have 10,000 teachers, 10,000 teachers, 10,000 teachers, but one father. Where are the shepherds of these last days? Let's look at verse 11, Judges chapter 2, verse 11. Then, in verse 11, the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord. Notice this next generation. They don't know the Lord. They don't know his works. But he's still there. He's still there. In verse 11 says, the children of Israel did evil. Not just evil, period. They did evil in the sight of the Lord. He's still there. He sees it. It's in his sight they're doing evil. Joshua and the elders are dead now. They still have elders from a positional perspective. But when the wrong formula, under the wrong formula, doesn't work that way. Look at today. Look at all the pastors. There's 10,000 churches on every street corner. Look at all the churches that are sprawled about everywhere across the world, really. Look at all the pastors, all the ministry leaders. But when you look deeper, where is it where the formula is right? Where is it where the biblical formula, that holy recipe, where is that right? With Paul, it was right. Paul to the Corinthians, you have 10,000 teachers, but one father. Picture that, you and me. We go to a Christian bookstore. Christian bookstore, and there's 10,001 books. 10,001. That's a lot of books. And there's only one that's safe. You see? Praise be to the Lord that we have the... Remember the love-hate relationship that I have with the Corinthians? I hate the sin that we see in Corinth. I hate the fact that there was the separation, the, the remnant from the leaven. I hate it. I hate it. I hate it. The flesh that we see in Corinth, I hate it. But I'm thankful that we have 1 Corinthians. I'm thankful that we have 2 Corinthians. That's my love-hate relationship. It's painful that it's there. I'm thankful that it's there so that we can learn just like we see in Judges 2. It's painful. It's painful. The next generation, they do not know the Lord. It's not that they don't know the Lord. I mean, there's that too, but they don't know his works, which he has done for Israel. And in verse 11, the children, now look, now they're doing evil in the sight of the Lord. You see? And they served the Baals. It is written in verse 11. They served the Baals. Look what has happened. 
What has happened, O Israel? Serving the Baals? What has happened? Oh, God is for us. You have people today. God is for us. We're the elect of God. God is sovereign. God is sovereign. And listen, I'm not mocking his sovereignty. But the works of the flesh? Carnality? Those are the very things that mock his sovereignty. Because you have people, oh, look, we're of the elect. Remember in Jeremiah's day? Oh, Jeremiah, you're so stupid. Go over there. Be by yourself. Be alone. You want to be a crybaby, Jeremiah? Go over there and weep. Oh, look, we're the elect of God. Everybody, don't listen to Jeremiah. Let him be a little crybaby over there in his corner. Don't listen to him. Oh, we're the elect of God. Then you read Lamentations. Jeremiah, where is he? Judah, where are they? Proof is in the pudding. You see? Judah, captivity. When you look at the rotten fruit, it is revealed that God is not sovereign to those who have forgotten the Lord. They can say it all they want. Oh, God is sovereign. God is sovereign. But then you look at the sex. You look at the alcohol. You look at the drugs. You look at the fruit. You look at the rotten fruit. You look at the false doctrine. You look at all these factors. And then you realize, yeah, God is sovereign. Yes. But through your mockery, through the works of your flesh, you are showing that God is not sovereign to you. Because to me, he is. And that's the remnant saint. God is absolutely sovereign. Because the sovereign to them is their sex, their drugs, their alcohol, their behaviors of vermin. That's who their sovereign is. Their sovereign is who they serve. Yes, understand God is gracious and merciful. Yes, absolutely. But we are never, ever, ever to take advantage of his mercy and grace. Look what has happened in, here, in, in Judges 2. Look at what has happened in Israel. They're serving the Baals. What has happened? Oh, but we're the elect of God. You're serving the Baals. Oh, but we're the elect of God. You've forgotten him. You see? A generation that does not know the Lord. It happened with Israel. It happened with Judah. It is happening with the church. Verse 12, And they forsook the Lord God of their fathers who had brought them out of the land of Egypt, and they followed other gods from among the gods of the people who were all around them. 
to the precious saints of these last days, the remnant of these last days, all around you can be found people who worship their gods. They want to worship whoever they want to worship. But as for you, stand firm in Jesus. Stand firm in Jesus. Grow, mature, and become deadly. The good deadly, not the bad deadly, the good deadly. You see? And don't forget your fishing pole. <laughs> don't forget your fishing pole. Understand, Satan is a fisherman too. You and me, we must be wise as the serpent and peaceful as the dove. Beautiful. Notice what is happening here in verse 12. They follow these other, the very thing that Moses told them, don't do that. I mean, God told Moses, Moses, tell the people, don't do this. And so in obedience, Moses says, okay, guys, don't do this. In obedience, Joshua says, okay, guys, don't do this. Joshua dies, the elders die. What happens? The people do it. You see? They serve the Baals. And in verse 12, and they bowed down to them. Look what happens when God becomes forgotten. They serve the Baals, they follow the Baals and other gods, and they bow down to these other gods. Now remember, the Lord is reactionary. The Lord is reactionary. Look what happens in verse 12. They bowed down to them and they provoked the Lord to anger. God responds. You see? Now, the unknown God, I'm doing my air quotes, the unknown God makes himself known again. Now, I say unknown God because, you know, in verse 10, you know, they didn't know the people. They didn't know the God. Israel, they didn't know the Lord. They didn't know the Lord. And so in response, God responds, you know, they, they want to, they, they will serve the Baals. Okay. Balls in their court. They serve the Baals. Okay. Now the balls in the Lord's court. And he makes himself known again. Now, there's something that when he makes himself known, notice in verse 12, they provoked him to anger. This isn't a good thing. When God makes himself known, you know, in Egypt, when God made himself known, it's bad for Egypt and good for Israel. Bad for Egypt and safe for Israel. But when God makes himself known again to Israel, it's not a pretty picture for Israel. Something very interesting that we see here. Because the Calvinist pastors, the Reformed pastors in these last days, God ordains all things to happen. Everything happens. You know, it's his will. God wills all things to happen. Now, using that logic, does God provoke himself to anger? Does God provoke himself to anger? You see, God is not bipolar like these so-called pastors are. God is not a schizo like these so-called pastors are. These pastors are the schizophrenics. God, he never changes. He is sovereign. He is Lord. Oh, we can't know what the Lord is doing. You know what they're revealing? When these Calvinist pastors say, oh, we can't know, we can't fathom his ways. They're revealing that they don't know the biblical Jesus. Because you know what the Bible says? It says that, the sovereign God does nothing. 
The sovereign God does nothing without revealing them to his servants. That's what the Bible says. So you have these pastors, oh, we can't know his will is so perfect and his ways are so above our ways and we can't know what he's doing. They're revealing themselves by their own admission that they serve an unbiblical Jesus who also, according to their theory, does not have gifts. A high priest that does not have gifts because according to Reformed theology and Calvinism, the gifts that was for 2,000 years ago, it is no longer for today. It was for another dispensation. It's not for today. Let me ask you a question. What Jesus are they talking about? What Jesus are they talking about? What Jesus permits a Christian to take the mark of the beast? What Jesus does that? Not the biblical one. Not the one whose word is above his name. But the fake Jesus? Propagated by Satan? You see? He'll do it. Because it's a trap. You see? We have to be wise as serpents. It's the bipolar pastor that says, well, you know, there's God's will and then there's his perfect will. The bipolar pastor who is disqualified to be a pastor. Using the logic of the Calvinist, the logic of the reformed theory person, does God provoke himself to anger? If everything happens from his will, does God provoke himself to anger? You see, this conclusion of so-called logic is revealed to be idiotes, where we get the word idiot from. It is logic of the idiot. Idiotes in the Greek, the same word that Paul uses for those who are fools and without understanding. The idiotes. Idiotes standing in the pulpits. You see? Idiotes standing in the pulpits. Who wants to be trained by the idiotes? Who wants to be taught by the idiotes? Who wants to submit to the idiotes? It's the blind. Because when the blind follow the blind, it's both that fall into a ditch. You see? And so here they provoke the Lord to anger. Look at what happens when the Lord becomes forgotten. In verse 13, they forsook the Lord and served Baal. And the aster, as if Baal wasn't enough. Now you add, you know, more to the mix. They serve Baal and the asteress. And the anger of the Lord in verse 14 was hot against Israel. So he delivered them. Wow, look, deliverance, deliverance, God's deliverance. Here's a question I have. To where? Oh, deliverance is a good thing. Deliverance is a good thing. Hold the phone there, my friend. Where are we going? Look, in verse 14, so he delivered them. Notice, into the hands of plunders who despoiled them, and he sold them. Translates as in the Hebrew, he surrendered them into the hands of their enemies all around so that they could no longer stand before their enemies. Whoa. 
You see? Victory. Biblical victory. Always, 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 always has effectuators. Always. And that's obedience. Obedience to the Lord. Today you have carnality in the church. You're always going to have carnality in the church. But the carnality, when the formula is right, should be found more prevalently among the babies. You see? And when babies stay babies, we have a problem. For three years, in the case of Corinth, un uncorrected sin, uncorrected, arrested development. And it came at a heavy price. Today you have Christians. Oh, look, I'm victorious in the Lord. The Lord has given me victory. Well, what's the victory, my friend? What's the victory, brother? What's the victory, sister? Oh, I won at blackjack at the casino. Thank you, Jesus. Look, I won at blackjack. I went to the casino. I did my fasting. I fasted for a week. And you know, I prayed. And look, I'm victorious in Christ. I won at blackjack. That's not how the Lord works. I'm victorious. I'm victorious. My third husband left me. And now I have a boyfriend who treats me like a princess. It's only been a week, but I'm victorious. Biblical victory, biblical victory always, always, always aligns with the Lord. Always aligns with sound doctrine according to his word, always. Every single fabrication fails. All fabrications fail. The fake will fail. 100% of the time. There is only one way that is sound. One way. And Jesus is the way. You see? And this deliverance of the Lord is not a good deliverance. It's deliverance into the hands of their enemies. Into the hands of plunderers. In verse 14, so that they, they could no longer stand before their enemies. You see? Oh, but we have deliverance. We have deliverance. Okay, where are you going? You see? This is what happens when God is forgotten. This is what happens when a nation forgets the Lord. Israel has forgotten the Lord. You have in verse 10, a generation who does not know the Lord, nor the work which he had done for Israel. Israel doesn't know the Lord. And so the Lord makes himself known, but it's not the good kind, the good way like he did in Egypt. For, for the Egyptian, Egyptians, not so good. For Israel, good in Egypt. But out of Egypt, when the Lord makes himself known, to a people who have forgotten him, not so good. There's deliverance, but it's into the hand of the plunderers. You see? If there's disobedience, do not expect deliverance into good things. 
This applies to you and me. If there is disobedience, do not expect deliverance into good things. Just the opposite. But where there is obedience, we can expect deliverance into beautiful things. You see? Israel could no longer stand before their enemies. This is what happens when God becomes forgotten. Today, I teach from America, but God is forgotten. God has been kicked out of the marketplace. And when God makes himself known, not so pretty. Not so pretty. And you know what blows me away? God is just doing what he said he would do. Listen to our study, Deuteronomy 28. God is just doing what he said he would do. I mean, we get into prophecies of the book of Revelation. And you read these prophetic events, which will happen as surely as the Lord lives. They will happen. It shouldn't come as a surprise to Christians. You know why? Because God is doing exactly what he said he would do. Even with feeding the birds. God is doing just what he said he would do according to the law. You know why? Because he's executing the law and in the law is found death. But the law is not made for the righteous person. Remember our study in, in, in Timothy? The law is not made for the righteous person, but for the unrighteous. So what does that say? If you're outside of Christ, Come inside. Abide in Christ. Get righteousness. Oh, we don't we don't have my righteousness is filthy rags. Understandably. But what about when Christ is in you? What about when you're in Christ and Christ is in you? Your righteousness isn't your righteousness. It's the righteousness of Christ. Oh, but we're not saved by works. Understandably, the Bible says we're not saved by works. But the Bible says we're saved for works. For works. You see? And there are people who will say, Lord, Lord, we did all these things in your name. He's going to respond. Depart from me, you workers of iniquity. They didn't do good works. Probably a lot of once saved, always saved people there. You see? No good works. But when there's good works, you see how beautiful this is? You see how the puzzle pieces fit perfectly? Perfectly. You don't have to jam this here and jam this there and jam this here because, you know, you jam this here, you jam this here, you jam this there. You're not going to get the image of Christ. You're going to get an image, all right. But it's not going to be of the biblical Jesus. It'll be of another Jesus who says, go ahead and take the mark of the beast. You'll still be saved. It'll be of another Jesus that says, oh, God is done with Israel. It'll be a, an image of another Jesus that says, oh, let, let's go grave soaking. Everybody will go lay on the grave of dead people. It'll be another Jesus that says, you know, hey, tithe, you know, $10,000. The money preachers. They serve their belly. Notice in verse 15. Whenever they went out, 
the hand of the Lord was against them. Whoa. For calamity. Oh my goodness. They had deliverance, all right. They had deliverance. Notice, you know, it's revealed. Verse 14. They, the Lord delivered them. The Lord delivered them. But their deliverance, as a result of forgetting the Lord, was to their enemies. They had deliverance. Deliverance into the hand of the plunders. This, this is the Old Testament. Now, you know, people today say, oh, this is Old Testament. This is Old Testament. We're under a new covenant. So I'm okay. You know, God is love now. Listen, God is always love. God is always love. He never changes. But don't forget, he's also always just. According to a new covenant truth, where there is no love of the truth, God gives deliverance. Absolutely. When there is no love of the truth, God gives deliverance. Only this. The deliverance that he gives when there is no love of the truth, it's into strong delusion. And under strong delusion, there is surrender to plunderers. This fulfills another truth. Nothing new under the sun. You see? Oh, you're so mean. People say, you're so mean. You're so mean. How? How? You want to know what's really mean? What truly is mean? You want to know what's mean? To lie and not tell you about it. To lie and tell you, and to lie and not tell you about it effectuators for victory, effectuators for promises. And people say, well, you know, I'm going to go to this other church. I'm going to go to this other church where the pastor makes me feel good about myself. Listen, biblically speaking, the only way you'll feel good about yourself, the only way I'll feel good about myself is when you and me are obedient to Jesus. That's the only way. Because you want to do your sex, you're not going to feel good about yourself. I mean, if you're a Christian, you want to do your sex and your drugs and your alcohol, you're going to open up your Bible and that Bible, the word of God is going to be conviction. You know why? Not because the Bible's in the wrong, because you're in the wrong. You see? And I tell you from experience. It's you and me that yields to the word of God. And we, when we submit and yield to the word of God, there has to be repentance. You could come to the Lord with all kinds of preconceived notions about sex, drugs, rock and roll, the whole nine yards, abortion, Buddha, you know, the Ouija boards, whatever it is. But as you grow, as you mature, you're going to realize, wow, Lord, I was wrong about abortion. Forgive me, Lord, I repent before you. Wow, Lord, you know, I thought it was, you know, if it feels good, just do it. And I was wrong, Lord. Forgive me, Lord, I repent before you. Wow, Lord, I was wrong about strippers. Forgive me, Lord, I repent before you. Wow, Lord, I was wrong about crack. Forgive me, Lord, I repent. Forgive me, forgive me, forgive me, Lord. You see? And you're going to grow. You're going to mature. You see? But people don't want to do that anymore. 
It's another sign of the last days when people won't endure sound doctrine. Oh, I'm just going to, you know, I want to go to church where I feel good about myself. I want to do my sex, my drugs, my alcohol. I want to let my kids do the sex in my own, my own house. I want to invite the, the Jezebel in my house so that she can defile all my children. And so I'm just going to go to this other church where I can feel good about myself. You see? The only way you or me will feel good about ourselves is when we are obedient to the Lord. When we are obedient to the Lord. And where you're found wanting, where I am found wanting, you know what? Lord, forgive me. I repent. You see? Oh, you're so mean. You're so mean. The real meanness is to lie. You see? The real meanness is to not tell you about the effectuators of promises. The effectuators of victory. Pastors, so-called pastors, who remain silent about sin have no business at the pulpit. They have no business at the pulpit. But they're found everywhere. They're everywhere. They're on every street corner. They're everywhere. You see? But when you know formula and you understand formula, you know who it is safe to submit yourself to. You see? To learn the ways of righteousness. In verse 15, whenever they went out, the hand of the Lord was against them for calamity. As the Lord had said, you see, it's not, he's just doing what he said he would do. As the Lord has says, and as the Lord has sworn to them, and they were greatly distressed. You see, they were greatly distressed. But it shouldn't be a surprise. It should be no surprise. Because God is just doing what he said he would do. Listen to our study from Deuteronomy 28. You'll understand more. He's just doing what he said he would do. These are the things that Moses took to heart. Joshua took to heart. Eleazar took to heart. Phineas took to heart. The elders under Joshua took to heart. For themselves, yes. But for the people. For the people. Remember Korah? Come on, Moses. You think God can speak, you know, through you and you think you're the only one who can say these things about the Lord? Oh, come on, everybody. Follow me. Look, I'm Korah. Look how awesome I am. Where's Korah now? Where's Korah now? Where are his followers? They're dead. You see? You say, wait a second. Moses is dead too. Have you forgotten? The transfiguration, my beautiful friend, my beautiful, beautiful friend, have you forgotten? And so we see here in verse 16, nevertheless, the Lord raised up judges. The Lord raised up judges who delivered them out of the hand of those who plundered them. Very interesting what we see here. Very interesting what we see. Notice. 
the Lord did not raise warriors. The Lord did not raise warriors. I meant like, you know, fighters according to the flesh. Because carnally speaking, you could look at a situation and be like, wow, you know, we're being overtaken over here. We're being overtaken by these peoples. We're being overtaken, you know, uh, or we're being plundered. So uh, we need, okay, mighty men. We need to train up and mighty men. We need to work out. We need to be strong. We need to get some muscle. <laughs> we need to work out. We need to, you know, use our swords, our shields and all these things. But that's not who the Lord raised up. He raised judges. People who would make decisions, litigators. It seems counterintuitive. I mean, picture like we're in the thick of battle. You and me, we're in the thick of battle. I and, mean, you know, we're a team of guys. But you and me, we're, you know, two of that platoon, we'll say. And we're in the thick of battle. And we call for reinforcements. And the reinforcements come and it's a bunch of lawyers. You know, it's like, what? Where, where you guys are all suited up with your briefcase. We need like weapons and stuff. Like, you know, you guys are the reinforcements. It seems counterintuitive. Like, okay, we're, we're losing here. We're being overtaken. We're being plundered. We need the warriors. We need the mighty, mighty warrior. But that's not who the Lord raised up. The Lord raised up judges. You see? These judges are raised up because the formula in the camp must be right. The fight is not carnal at all. Remember when Israel suffered loss from casualties with Achan? Remember our study from Joshua 7? Israel took casualties. They suffered loss and they took casualties. Is it because they weren't working out? They weren't training right? No. It's because of Achan and the choice that he made. One man. His sin, his trespass. And he had opportunity to repent and get cleaned up, but he didn't do that. In Achan, the formula was wrong. It cost Achan his life. It cost his kids, sons and daughters, his li their lives. The formula was wrong in Achan. In Achan, yes. But also in the camp... They suffered loss. They took casualties. It came at a cost for Israel. When Achan was addressed and Achan was no more as a result. And I don't want to gloss over that. Well, you know, Achan died. I don't want to gloss over it. No. He suffered the penalty. He broke the law. He suffered the penalty for the law. And in the law, there is a means of getting cleaned. But. When that's not taken, when that's not the chosen route, okay? Now there, there's the penalty of the law. The law today is still in effect. It's the lesser glory, the greater glory is Jesus, the fulfillment of the law. But the law today is still in effect. And in the law is death. No one is qualified to execute the judgment aspect of the law. No one. No, not one. Lowercase o. But there is only one of Judah, of Melchizedek, who is qualified and he will 
execute the judgment of the law at a coming time soon. You see? But this one who is qualified, only one who is qualified, commander of the armies of the Lord, just like the woman caught in adultery, he says, woman, where are your accusers? Neither do I condemn you. Because we're in the age of grace. And this door of grace is not going to be open forever. You see? I don't say that as a threat. Like, you know, hey, you better come to Christ because this door of grace. Hey, it's closing. It's not going to be open forever. I don't say that as a threat. But you have to admit, that's scary. I mean, if you're on the inside, you know, praise be to the Lord. But if you're on the outside, hey, that's scary. I mean, I don't say it as a threat, but that's what the Bible says. Why not just let it be a non-factor? I mean, it's much, you know, sometimes, you know, non-believers get mad at me. Like, oh, you're, you're trying to scare me to heaven. You know, you're, sorry, you're, you're trying to sound like it's threatening. Like, you know, hey, if I don't come to Christ today, then, you know, hey, I'm in trouble. It's not me that says it. The Bible testifies. If you're outside of Christ... Understand, tomorrow is promised to no man. Yes, this door of grace is closing, but tomorrow, tomorrow, I mean, we can talk about the events of the last days and the days of prophecy and all these things and, you know, forward looking onto certain events, but tomorrow is promised to no man. You see? There you go. You're using fear tactics again. Oh, it's, it is written. Why not the better way? Why not just let all these things be non-factors for you, for your soul? You see? The door of grace that is closing, why not just let it be a non-factor and come inside where it is safe? You see? Tomorrow is promised to no man. Why not just let tomorrow be a non-factor because tomorrow that is promised to no man can be paradise. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Why not just, why not just, you know, get rid of the, the, these factors. Make them non-factors for you, for your soul, for your eternity. And that's what God desires. Because he sent his son into the world, not to condemn the world, but that the world through Jesus, through his son, can be saved. But the ball's in your court. You have a choice to make. I can't make it for you. I can't reach for you and, you know, drag you into abiding in Christ. I can't do that. But I can tell you, hey, come inside. You know, everybody everybody makes a choice for himself. Everybody makes a choice for herself. You have to choose. I can tell you till I'm blue in the face, and I will tell you till I'm blue in the face that God loves you. But you have a choice to make. You can respond to his love, and I desire you to respond to his love, and he desires you to respond to his love. But you need to come to him. You need to align yourself to him. And I tell you these things from experience. I've, I've had my days in the world, and I tell you the truth. The Lord is good. 
As he says, taste and see that the Lord is good. I've tasted of the world. I've tasted of bondage. I've tasted of Egypt. And I've tasted of the Lord. And the Lord is good. I tell you these things from experience. And the Lord raises these judges in Israel. In verse 16, the Lord raised up judges who delivered them. You see? The people have to be right with the Lord and these judges are going to make decisions in accordance to holy formula. It's very interesting who God raises in eras when he is forgotten. Because today people say, oh, you're so judgmental. You're so mean. You're so judgmental. Listen, that's precisely who God raises up. You see, remember for us as new covenant believers, we cannot judge or condemn to hell. There are, you know, of, you know, there's three derivatives of crino. There's anacrino and diacrino. There's more, but these are the, the, the main ones. Crino, anacrino, and diacrino. One of them is forbidden. That's you or me. We cannot say, hey, you're going to burn in hell. We cannot say, we cannot tell a person, you know, thus saith the Lord, you're going to burn in hell. No, we can't do that. We cannot condemn anybody to hell. Only the Lord can do that. But we can diacrino and anacrino, derivatives of crino, which is to make a determination, make an assessment. And the Bible says we are to make determinations and assessments in conduct and in fellowship. I mean, in order for the remnant to separate from the leaven in Corinth, they had to make a determination. Not crino. They're not going to say, hey, you want to have sex with your dad's mom? Okay, you're going to burn in hell. Oh, you want to be extortion? Oh, you're going to burn in hell. You want to be alcoholic and a, 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 a reviler and a drunkard? Okay, you're going to burn in hell. No. Christians cannot do that. But Christians can make a determination, not crino, but anacrino and diacrino, where, okay, you make your choice. Now I'm making my choice and I'm jumping ship. I'm not fellowshipping with you. Why? Because it's the leaven. You see, and just like in Thessalonica, uh, in Thessalonica, Paul says, you know, don't count them as, you know, uh, don't count them as don't don't say they're not a brother. Don't say they're not a sister because that's between them and the Lord. But you can still separate and you have to separate. Because it's le the leaven. Don't forget, there's still hope for leaven. When leaven is leaven, there's still hope for leaven. But, you know. Everybody has to make a choice. Ball's in their court. They have a choice to make. They can repent or their heart can get harder. Their heart can go get soft, back to jello where it needs to be, or their heart can get hard. That's not good. That's when you get into like Pharaoh, when hearts become pine. And then when, when the Lord hardens heart, that's when the heart becomes stone. That's not good. That's not good. In one sense, it sounds crazy. And I'm going to say it, and then I'm going to give an ex explanation for it. I don't like false doctrine. I can't stand false doctrine. I hate false doctrine. But in a very small sense, I'm kind of thankful for it. And I'm thankful for it for a reason, and I'll explain. Because in our study in Hebrews chapter 6, where it is impossible to restore a person 
when they re-crucified Jesus. If you're in a fellowship where the formula is right, if you are abiding in Christ and the formula is right, and everything is on point and biblical and beautiful, praise be to the Lord. But if a person leaves that, that's when Hebrews 6 comes into play, where it is impossible to restore a person. And that's why I say in a certain degree that I'm thankful for false doctrine. It's because those who are in false doctrine, the effectuator of Hebrews 6 does not apply. Which is why we say, you got to jump ship. If you're with the Calvinists, if you're with the Reformed, if you're with the Presbyterian, if you're with the money preachers, if you're with the Charismatics, if you're with the Catholics, if you're with the Hebrew roots, if you're with the uh, uh, the money preachers, if you're with the, the replacement theology, if you're with your Pipers, if you're with your uh, coalitions, if you're with, you know, anything that doesn't align with sound doctrine, you got to jump ship. You got to jump ship to where it is safe for your soul. You see? And the Lord, he didn't raise up warriors who fight according to the flesh. He did raise up warriors, but of a different kind. And these judges, they're going to do exactly that, judge and make determinations, you see? And so here in in verse 16, nevertheless, the Lord raised up judges who delivered them out of the hand of those who plundered them. You know, now the people have a choice to make, you see? Yet in verse 17, they would not listen to their judges, you see? Understand this generation, they've forgotten the Lord. They do not know the Lord, nor the works that he has done. And picture what they might have said to these judges. Oh, you're so judgmental. You're so judgmental. You're so mean. You're so mean. And they don't realize that's precisely what God wants them to do. They're judges after all. The Lord raised up judges to do what? Judge. And today, in these last days, the Lord is doing exactly the same. Nothing new under the sun. The Lord is doing exactly what he said he would do. And you have Christians today. Who do you think you are? You're so mean. You're so mean. You're so judgmental. Judge not lest you be judged. You're not loving. God is love. You're not loving. How dare you say this about my crack? How dare you say this about my cocaine? How dare you say this about me cooking spoons? How dare you say this about my strippers? How dare you say this about my prostitutes? How dare you say this about my casinos? How dare you say this about my Buddhas? How dare you say this about my Marys? How dare you say this about my grave soaking? How dare you say this about my study Bible from the guy who says, take the mark of the beast, you'll still be saved? How dare you say this about my Pipers? How say How dare you say this about my coalitions? That's not loving. God raised up these judges. He raised them up. 
the people don't heed them. The ball's in their court. The people don't heed them. Understand these judges. It's not so they can get on a house and be like, oh, look, I'm a judge. You have to, you know, honor me and you have to respect me. This, No. The judges were raised up for the people. It's so that the people can be right with God. And in verse 17, they would not listen to their judges, but they played the harlot with other gods. You know what that means in the Hebrew? They were whores. That's how it translates. They were whores with other gods. They were whores. And it breaks my heart. And this is exactly what happens when God is forgotten. Oh, but that's Old Testament. We're in the New Testament. We are in the age of grace. We're the new covenant. Listen, nothing new under the sun. In the last days, there will be a rise of an ecumenical movement. John the Revelator puts it as a mother of harlots. This mother of abomination will have daughters. Whore mom, whore daughters. Satan's game plan isn't new at all. Meanwhile, the Lord has raised up judges in these last days. The Lord has raised up judges in these last days. Oh, but, you know, judge not lest you be judged. That's crino. Remember the derivatives of crino. Anacrino, diacrino. Crino, forbidden. Anacrino, diacrino, necessary. Required. An assessment, determination. And the Lord has raised up judges in these last days. Listen, when the formula is right in you, in you, and the formula is right in you according to the word of God. And you, my beautiful brother, my beautiful sister, and you are abiding in Christ. And people tell you, oh, you're so judgmental. You're such a legalist. Listen, rejoice. Rejoice. You know why? Because you're counted worthy to suffer for the name of Jesus. Because prophetically speaking, there will be a falling away which will intensify and it's already begun. The falling away has already begun. And it's going to intensify as we get deeper into the events of the last days. And these people who fall away in them will be a greater alignment to the mother of harlots. And this mother of harlots will come in the name of love and in the name of peace. But it's satanic. It's a trap. A time will come under this evil mother, this evil whorish mom with whorish daughters where a beast from the earth will arise and a beast from the sea will arise and where peace and safety will be reached. The peace and safety that the world yearns for and the world desires, they will achieve and reach peace and safety. But the Bible reveals that's when destruction comes because it's a false peace and it's false safety because the only safety, it only comes from the Prince of Peace. 
And when the world reaches this false peace and false safety, the Bible says that's when sudden destruction comes. First Thessalonians chapter five, verse three. You see? Here in verse 17 of Judges 2, they would not listen to their judges. They played the harlot with other gods. They played the whore with other gods and bowed down to them. They turned quickly from the way. They turned quickly from the way. They turned quickly from the way in which their fathers walked. In obeying the commandments of the Lord, they did not do so. You see, a generation that does not know the Lord. And what do we have today? A generation that does not know the Lord. Oh, but we used to go to church. We used to go to church. And then you have a younger generation. They want nothing to do with church. They want nothing to do with Jesus. They want nothing to do with Christianity. You know why? Dear old dumb dad. Dear old dumb mom. You see? A time is coming when a man's enemies will be those in his own household. And Jesus says, do not think I came to bring peace. I came to divide. You see? Was the division wheat and tares until the harvest it is written. You have a generation that does not know the Lord and the Lord raised judges. Not for the sake of the judge. Not to exalt the judge. He raised judges for the people so that they could be right with the Lord. You know what's very interesting? What's very interesting, among other things, is that we do not see the priesthood as a vessel for cleansing here. Very interesting. Where is the priest? I mean, remember in our studies in Exodus and Leviticus and Numbers and Deuteronomy? How many times, if you've been walking with us for a while, how many times did you hear us say, Aboda, Aboda, Mishkan? Now, if you're listening for the first time, go back and listen to our study in Leviticus. You'll understand more. And while you're at it, listen to Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. You'll understand even more. And see that Moses wrote of Jesus, exactly like Jesus says. But for that priest, you know how, how many times did you hear us say, pose the question, do you know how dead the priests have to be? Do you know how dead the priests have to be in Exodus and Leviticus and Numbers? Do you know how dead the priests have to be in serving the Lord? And the whole purpose so that people can be right with the Lord. Do you know how dead the priests have to be? Picture a male priest and a female comes to him. Hey, priest. Hey, how you doing? Priest, I have a problem. What's the problem? I think I have leprosy. Oh, okay. Let's, let's come over here. Let's go into these, you know, private chamber. In this private chamber, you know how dead the priest has to be to say, okay, show me. Do you know how dead he has to be? The priest could turn around 
and say, okay, you know, not looking, but the priest can turn around and say, okay, you know, adjust your wardrobe so that, you know, what you think is leprosy so that it's exposed and I can see it. Now, if it's on the elbow, that's one thing. If it's on the shoulder, that's another thing. But what if it's somewhere else? And other things are exposed. Do you know how dead that priest has to be? For his mind, for his heart. For his mind and his heart to be in a place where we got to get you clean. You have to be clean before the Lord. And so the lady says, okay, you can look now. And he turns around. And he's not looking at, you know, anything but the leprosy. And it says, you know what? You're right. You're right. This is leprosy. Come on, let's get you cleaned up. And this is what the Lord says that we have to do. Come on, let's go walk over here. I'm with you. I'm with you. And yes, it's leprosy. But here, I'm with you. Yes, it's leprosy. Let's walk over here. And listen, this is where you're going to sleep. Here's where you're going to stay the night. It's outside of the camp because it's leprosy. It's unclean before the Lord that we serve. And I'm going to come. I'm going to bring you your food. I'm going to pray for you. I'm going to come visit. Make sure you have your water. But it is leprosy. A couple days pass. I mean, there's the passage of food and water and how you doing? Oh, I'm good. The, the, the priest approaches on day number three. Day the, the the first day of being in the outside the camp, you know, unclean. The lady cries out, unclean, unclean. And the priest says, Oh, it's me. I came, I'm come with your water, I come with your food. Day number two, unclean, unclean. The leprosy is still there. The priest gives the food and Goes back in his chambers and is on his face before the Lord praying. For the lady that he desires to be inside the camp. Where it is safe. He strongly desires her to be safe and inside the camp and nice and clean and everything right with the Lord. And that's where his heart is. That's where his mind is. He comes out on the third day. And he has a smile on his face. You know why? Because he doesn't hear her say unclean and he has a smile on his face. You see? And then, you know, could it be true? And the lady has a smile on her face. I think, I think it's gone. I think I'm clean again. And then they're walking back together to the chambers. Okay, let's get you. Let's 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 check it out. You know, let's get things. Let's look things over. And you know what? I've been praying for you. And oh my goodness, the Lord is so good. And you know, I thought it was gonna be a week, but here we are on the third day. And I thought it was gonna be longer, but look how the Lord responded. And oh my goodness, I love the Lord so much. And the lady, oh, I love the Lord so much too. And all oh, that beautiful fellowship. And they're walking back. They get to the chambers. It's like okay, let's get let's check you out. You know, I'm gonna turn around again. You know, and the lady, you know exposes the area of skin and she says okay i'm ready he turns around and his mind is pure before the lord his heart is pure before the lord 
And all of a sudden, he starts to cry tears in his, like, stream down his cheeks. You know why? Because the Lord answered his prayers. She is clean. The leprosy is gone. You see? Do you know how dead such a man has to be? Dead to self. Abodah, abodah, mishkan. But if he's not dead, the lady might have leprosy. But she cannot be cleaned. She cannot be cleansed. Why? Because he's disqualified. Because his heart is not right with the Lord. You see? And it's very interesting here in the book of Judges that the Lord doesn't raise up the priests. The Lord doesn't raise up the priesthood. The ones who have a responsibility, He raises the judges. You see? Who's a vessel for cleansing. And it's the exact same in the last days. The exact same in the last days. Churches on every corner. Churches everywhere in any community, in any place in the world. There are churches everywhere. But where can be found cleansing? Biblical cleansing. The cleansing that really cleans. Remember Paul? 10,000 teachers, 10,000 teachers, 10,000 teachers, but one father. You see? And so we continue here in verse 18. And when the Lord raised up judges for them, for them, for the people, for Israel, they forgot the Lord. They didn't know his works. They had parents, all right. But their parents didn't teach them because this next generation, they don't know the Lord. You see? And when the Lord raised up judges in verse 18, for them, the Lord was with the judge and delivered them out of the hands of, the en of their enemies all the days of the judge. You see, there was deliverance to the plunderer. And that was the Lord's doing. Deliverance to the plunderer. Deliverance to the oppressors. But the deliverance from the plunder, it's also the Lord's do doing, but it's through his judges. Very interesting that we don't see activity of the priesthood here in Judges chapter 2. Very interesting that we do not see the activity of the priesthood. What happened to the priesthood? Remember in Leviticus how dead the priests have to be? We give the example with leprosy, a female leper. How dead the priest has to be in service unto the Lord. But here we have the judges that the Lord raised up. Very interesting. Kind of like a, a bypassing of the establishment, so to speak. It's the same in the first coming of the Messiah. 
a bypass of the religious establishment. And it's exactly the same in the second coming of the Messiah. A bypass of the religious establishment. The age of the megachurch is over. Because it's them that are entering judgment. And it is not safe. It is not safe. You're a say, jump ship, jump ship, jump ship. Listen, we don't say it just, you know, hey, jump ship so you can drown in the ocean. No, jump ship, welcome aboard. There is a better way. And thus fulfills what the Lord says. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. The formula's got to be right. The formula's got to be right. You see, I mean, you take a, a, a flashlight. A torch for my European friends. You take a flashlight. You know, it's medium size. It takes, um, what's a big battery? I could say it takes 2D batteries. So 2D batteries. The flash, the, the bulb, it works. The work, everything is fine. The buttons, it works. The on off, it works. But in order for that light to turn on, you can't put double A batteries. You can't put triple A batteries in there. You can't put a nine volt battery in there. You got to take a D battery and another D battery it takes two D batteries and you got to put it in and it fits. And then you hit the switch and boom, the light is on. But if the formula is wrong, if you take a nine volt battery, you're not going to have light. If you take a AAA battery, you're not going to have light. You see? The formula has to be right. The recipe has to be right. The flashlight takes 2D batteries, so you need 2D batteries. You see? There is power in AA batteries. There is power in AAA batteries. There is power in the 9-volt battery. But can it fit in that flashlight? No. See, the formula has to be right. There is power in the name of Jesus. There is power in his spirit. Dunamis power. Not by power, not by might, but by my spirit, saith the Lord. Dunamis. But whether or not it's applicable to you or me, the formula's got to be right in order for that light to turn on. I'll put it another way. In order for there to be light, there must be oil. Oil for lamps in the last days. You see? And notice what we see here in verse 18. And when the Lord raised up judges for them, the Lord was with the judge and delivered them out of the hands of their enemies all the days of the judge. For the Lord was moved to pity by their groaning you know this is beautiful but also sad remember in joshua 24 verse 16 where the people you know, you know joshua is saying you know choose this day whom you shall serve and in joshua 24 verse 16 the people respond far be it from us that we should serve other gods you know the problem they didn't teach their kids now look you have a generation that doesn't know the Lord. And as a result, remember, the Lord is reactionary. 
And here in verse 18 of Judges, the people, they're groaning now. I mean, you hit the rewind button. Just in Joshua 24, you see rejoicing. And from rejoicing to groaning. And this is precisely what happens when God is forgotten. And yet, in his long suffering, he remains compassionate. How? The judge or judges, they were raised for the people so that the people could be right with the Lord. You see? And the Lord here in verse 18 of Judges 2, the Lord was moved to pity by their groaning because of the oppressed, because of those who oppressed them and harassed them. And in verse 19, and it came to pass when the judge was dead that they reverted. You see? So the judges were in aid and help to tell them. To tell them, listen, you know, this is good, this is bad, this is pleasing before the Lord, this is not pleasing before the Lord. You see, you can almost see a babiness to Israel, this youthful aspect to Israel, because there's an arrested development here, they're not moving on to perfection. It's almost like Israel in a Judges chapter 2. It's almost like a Corinthian church in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, 2, 3, and 4. They're babies on milk. The problem, you know, milk is beautiful for babies. But there needs to be a moving on to perfection. Just like we've studied, you know, at length through the Corinthian studies and the studies through the epistles and the pastoral epistles, but also in Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 5, you know, let us, let us move away from milk. You see? In verse 19 here, when it, it came to pass that when the judge was dead, that they reverted. The people went back and behaved more corruptly than their fathers by following other gods to serve them and bowed down to them. They did not cease from their own doings. Notice it's self-inflicted, a result of their own choices. God doesn't make robots. God doesn't make robots, you know. Ball's in your court. Ball was in Joshua's court. Ball was in Moses' court. Ball was in Phineas's court. Ball was in Korah's court. You see? Ball was in Hannah's court. Ball was in Paul's court. Ball was in Peter's court. Ball was in, Ball was in Chloe's court. Lydia's court. Ball's in your court. Ball's in my court. It's you and me that respond to the Lord. How is it that we respond? In reverence? In adoration? You see? Or in stubbornness? Cherry picking the word of God. Well, I like this. I like the Psalms. I like this Psalm. I like this Psalm. Uh, but I don't like this Psalm. I don't like this passage of, you know, Isaiah. I don't like this passage of Jeremiah. I don't like the book of Revelation. I don't like this. It's too judgmental, too, ju too judgmental. That's stubbornness. That's carnal. 
That's also idolatry. Because the fullness of Christ, the word became flesh. Every jot, every tittle, the good, the bad, the ugly. Yes, the bad and the ugly. Chapter two of Judges, it's got some beautiful parts, but it's got some ugly parts. It's got some painful parts of which we're studying. I mean, for Israel to not know the Lord, for the Lord to refer to Israel as the whore, They did not cease from their own doings, nor from their stubborn ways. Whoa. You see? Remember, the inheritance, the, the, the people in Israel entering the promised land. It's not because you're awesome. Remember what in our study in Deuteronomy? It's not because you're awesome. You're a stiff-necked people. And now we see the danger of being stubborn and stiff-necked. You see? They did not cease from their own doings, no, from, nor from their stubborn way. In verse 20, Then the anger of the Lord was hot against Israel. And he said, Because, remember, God is reactionary. Always, 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 always remember, God is reactionary. Balls in Israel's court. Balls in Joshua's court. Balls in Korah's court. And they have a choice to make. Balls in your court. Balls in my court. How is it that a person responds to the Lord? You see? And the Lord responds, Because this nation has transgressed my covenant, which I commanded their fathers, and has not heeded my voice, I also, the Lord responds, you know, because, you know, Baal was in Israel's court. The nation did this. Now, the ball's in my court. I also, in verse 21, will no longer drive out before them any of the nations which Joshua left when he died. Whoa. That's interesting. Because the hedge of protection is no longer a hedge of protection. And it's sad. But it happens for a reason. It happens for a reason. God is simply doing exactly what he said he would do. Nothing new under the sun. And notice in verse 22, so that through them, this is the oppressors and the harassers of, the, of, of these other peoples, so that through them I may test Israel. Translates in the Hebrew is, I may prove Israel. Someone might say, well, that's so mean. That's so mean. Why is he going to do that to test Israel? Why is he going to do that to, to prove Israel? But let's flip the coin. In times of testing, certain things are revealed. Who is it that is closely aligned to God in intimacy with him? You see? I mean, in times of testing... The judges are revealed. And God raises up the judges. In time of testing, look at Hannah. In time of testing, look at Samuel. In time of testing, look at 
Nathaniel. In time of testing, look at Thomas. You see? In time of testing, look at Jason. Remember the home invasion, our study in the book of Acts? You see? It's those very souls that God uses. Remember Amos, where Amos says, I'm no prophet nor the son of a prophet. And the Lord says, surprise, Amos, you're a prophet. You're my guy. Surprise, Hannah, you're my gal. Surprise, Ruth, you're my gal. Surprise, Jeremiah, you're my guy. I'm going to use you. These judges are raised up. I'm going to use you, the Lord says. Very interesting that we see the priesthood. Or, you know, we see the inactivity of the priesthood. We don't see the priesthood here in Judges 2. Very interesting. What has happened to the priesthood? The priesthood of the fleshly commandments. You see? Remember Jesus with the disciples? He says, let the dead bury the dead and I will make you fishers of men. What about you? What about us? What about me? What about us in times of testing? The times of testing are here. What will be revealed in these days of testing? You see? Who is it that the Lord will raise up in these last days? Who is it that the Lord sees with the noble heart in these last days? You see, sometimes we look at it like in verse 22, you know, through them, through these oppressors, I may test Israel. And it's like, well, wow, that's, that's kind of mean. Well, carnally speaking, I can understand that argument, but let's flip the coin. We flip the coin and we see something different. What about the opportunity to be used as vessels during this time of tribulation, during this time of testing, during these times of trial? You see? Let's look at it with a new set of eyes, with eyes to see and ears to hear. Verse 22, so that through them I may test Israel, whether they will keep the ways of the Lord to walk in them as their fathers kept them or not, or not. Ball's in their court, Israel. Ball's in your court, church. Ball's in your court, Christian. Ball's in your court. Non-Christian. Balls in your court. You have, a, you have a choice to make. Who is it that will keep the ways of the Lord and walk in them? It applied back then. It applies today. You know who chooses? The remnant. That's who chooses. The remnant. Notice in closing, verse 23. Therefore, the Lord left those nations. Very interesting. Observe Israel according to the flesh with fleshly commandments. With fleshly commandments. Remember our study from Hebrews chapter 7 and 8? 
the fleshly commandments and the inability of the commandments to bring rest. You see, they had the Sabbath. They had the Sabbath. But it's the fleshly commandments. No rest for the souls. You see? And because the fleshly commandments, it leads to a better covenant where there is rest. You see, now we see how the Lord uses, uses adversity to teach us and show us himself. And more and more of himself. The Lord uses these things to reveal himself. So that you and me can learn to trust in him and love him in ways deeper and deeper and deeper than mind can comprehend. I don't want anybody. I don't want anybody to come to Jesus the way I did. I was suicidal before. And not just contemplating suicide like failed attempts. The first one I chickened out. The second one I didn't chicken out. You know what happened? The Lord prevented me from dying. I should have been dead in two seconds. I should have been dead in two seconds. And in God's grace, I should have been dead in maybe five seconds. But in the richness of God's grace, he prevented me from dying. I'm on borrowed time by God's grace. You know why? To tell you. To speak on the ways of righteousness to tell you of the richness of his love for you. For you. You're Jewish for you. You're Catholic for you. You're Gentile for you. You're Hebrew roots for you. You're Satanist for you. You're Luciferian for you. You're Buddhist for you. You're Catholic for you. You're Calvinist for you. You see, jump ship from the ways of the former and into the ways of the living. Because we're going to paradise. We're on our way to paradise. According to the spirit. You see, death, death is swallowed up in victory. And for death to be swallowed up in victory, there is only one way. It's the way of Jesus, who is the way, the truth, and the life. Right here, right now, balls in your court. Balls in your court, straight up. Straight up. And if you haven't heeded my prior calls to come to Christ, I'll say it again till I'm blue in the face. Respond to God's call by faith. When you hit pause, you listen to the message, how to commit your life, and you commit your life to Jesus Christ right here, right now. Ball's in your court. I can't force you. The door of grace is open. I can't force you in. No, you have to come in by your own choosing. I don't care how young you are. I don't care how old. You might be five years old. You might be eight years old. You might be 50 years old. You might be 100 years old. I don't care. I mean, I care, but I mean, you know, age is irrelevant, really. But you come to Christ right here, right now. Listen, we live in a world that has forgotten God. 
And the Lord, He uses adversity. Yes, tribulation even. And He uses it to reveal to us our need for Him. You know, you hear me say, I don't want anybody to come to Christ the way I did. And that's certainly true. And today I'm thankful for that path. I'm thankful for that path. Because that's the path that I needed. To jolt me, to rock me, to rock my world. So that I can realize my need for him. You see, just like we see here in verse 23. Therefore, the Lord left those nations. The Lord left those nations without driving them out immediately, nor did he deliver them into the hand of Joshua. You see, Joshua faithfully served the Lord. And he had his share of victory. Absolutely. But it's not 100% victory. Understand for you and me, when we reach 100%, we're going to be dead. It's like, wait a second. You might be wondering, wait a second. I don't get it. How is it that the Lord can leave these sources of oppression? How is it that the Lord can leave these sources of harm? How is it? Why is it? Listen, the Lord knows who he's dealing with. The Lord knows that we, like sheep, have gone astray. The Lord knows what he's working with. And in the event, there's these safeguards that the Lord has put in place to prevent that from happening. And sometimes it's these very... The prodding of pain, the prodding of hurt, that's the very thing that jolts us and rocks us so that we realize our need for him. And I tell you from experience, I chickened out on my first suicide attempt. I had multiple thoughts of suicide, but I chickened out on my first attempt. My second one, I was adamant. I am not chickening out. But the Lord prevented death. I should have been dead five seconds max. Five seconds max. It should have been, I should have been dead two seconds. But in five seconds, I should have been dead. Just flat out dead. But the Lord prevented that from happening. You know why? So that in the course of time, you and me, our paths would cross. Our paths would meet for such a time as this. So that I could tell you his love for you. So that I could tell you, jump ship, welcome aboard. So that I could tell you, hey, let's learn to fight. So that I could tell you, Hey, let's fight the good fight so that I can tell you, let's be deadly, the good deadly in Christ so that I can tell you, let's not forget our fishing poles. 
so that I can tell you, let's move on to paradise. Let's move on to perfection and onward to paradise. That's why I'm on borrowed time. You see? You might be listening from a place of rock bottom. You might be listening from a place of rock bottom where you, like me, at, you know, 25 years ago, but today that's you, where you're contemplating suicide and you're at rock bottom. But I tell you from experience, rock bottom doesn't have to be so bad. You know why? Because all that's left is up. You can be in the biggest pit of your own doing. Digging and digging and digging and digging and digging and digging. And in exhaustion, you've hit rock bottom. I was there. And all that's left is up. At the end of yourself, all that's left it's Jesus. It's Jesus. He was there. But for you to see him, sometimes it's those very things to jolt you and rock you and rock your world so that you can realize there's a better way. I tell you from experience. Wonderful, wonderful, wonderful are his ways. To the beautiful people of the way, a remnant of these last days. God bless you. I love you.